Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, November the 25th, 2015, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle. I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. And Mr. Bob Ryer. Hey. Uh, Stephanie will be joining us in just a little bit to talk about Marvel's Jessica Jones, the newest Netflix series premiere. Uh, Steve, Stephanie, and myself have all watched all 13 episodes. Uh, Bob has watched none. None. <laughs> Much like Daredevil from from yeah. earlier in the year, <laughs> and so we will be uh, doing much like we do with movies, a two section thing where we'll be talking about non spoilery, just sort of overall impressions. Um, and it's good, just like a Daredevil, it's good to have Bob here now having seen it. He can ask us questions about it that yeah. he that he's maybe curious about, and then we'll give you a clear warning and go into spoilers a- a- after that. Um, we're also going to be talking about our shared book of the week, which is The Mighty Thor, number one. Um, Jason Aaron and Russell Dowderman from Marvel Comics. And, of course, our lightning rounds and our, our own books of the week. Bob, how was your week? Tiring. Tiring? Tiring. I'm, I know you're having sleep. Yeah, I got like three hours on. of sleep last night. I'm exhausted right uh, now. <laughs> uh, leftover allergies, lots of pollen in the leaves from a weird summer, and I'm dizzy a lot. And don't stop smirking, Steve. <laughs> I'm in a good mood. <laughs> I know, no. You just... He's very happy that you're dizzy. Yes. Um, thrilled. I'm, I'm eating this up. Yeah, here you go. Uh, I actually almost missed the show once over, over this, mm-hmm. but it's just, I don't know what to do anymore. I take the pills that's supposed to clear up your sinuses, whatever, mm-hmm. and they make me dizzy. So what yeah, do you what do yeah, you go yeah. with that? So I, I just figured what I'm going to do is spend the next couple of evenings drinking. So it's at good. least if I'm dizzy, it's good. I have a better reason to have gotten there. It's a good yeah. plan. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I worked. I left for work yesterday at six o'clock in the morning, and I got home at eleven thirty at night. Um, and I still had like two episodes of Jessica Jones to watch before today. Um, and so I watched two episodes, and it was—I mean, it was late, but it wasn't late. Late. It was like one something or whatever. And I was like, okay, I'm going to work late tomorrow, but I had to be up early ish not er- super early but around eight to take my parents to the airport oh um so i i and i just couldn't fall asleep i ended up, ended up falling asleep until like after three ouch that sucks when you know you have to get up and <laughs> yes. do something yeah. and yeah. your brain is like me 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 yes exactly what happened i feel like if i hadn't had to pick up my parents i probably would have fallen asleep right away mm-hmm. and then had a nice long sleep but because of that i had to wake up and then and then we're uh we're house sitting for them while they're gone we're dog sitting so Basically, we, I was like, I can go home and I can nap for a little bit. But then I was like, you know what? 
I would rather get all the stuff together and just move this stuff all over my parents' house right now that we have to take with us and get settled there and then just go back there after I finish recording than have to go back home after we record, do Ugh. all this stuff, and just be probably just as tired because I'll end up getting like 30 minutes of sleep or something. Uh, How know. long are they going away for? Um, a couple days, four or five days. Oh, that's not so bad. No. Uh, no, I'm glad to be house-sitting. It's great. It's good, great. But I just – so I did that. So instead of napping this morning, I did that, and then I guess I had to come right to work. Worked all day, and now we're we're doing this business, so – Ooh. Indeed, indeed, it's all it's all happening. Uh, <laughs> so if you hear heads crashing into microphones, it's one of the two of us. Yes, yeah, it's not me. Yeah, not no, Steve. Steve's chipper. I'm well rested. He's chipper and well rested. <laughs> ah, um, <laughs> I'm an asshole. <laughs> so yeah, so like I said earlier, we have a bunch of stuff to get through and, and, and talk about. So let's uh, let's hit it right up. Oh, let's start talking about stuff right away. Steve, you ready to do your lightning round, or you want me to have Bob go first? I don't care. All right. You would seem to, like you were a little bit... Uh... Now I'm just making myself laugh. Just tell me to go so okay. I can calm down. You have three minutes and go. All right. Batman Europa number one came out this past week, and I thought it was really good. I don't know if you've ever seen... They don't give you... You know what? No. You know what bothered me about this? One thing. Nobody's name as to who did what is listed anywhere in the book. This gorgeous, gorgeous Batman book. Go ahead. Inspect it. I've looked through it three times. Anyway, um, there's a virus both inside the Bat computer and inside of Batman. He's got one week to figure it out and an unlikely partner in which to do so. I found I hate three you. seconds. <laughs> Shut up. There you go. So who? Di- All right. Hold on. I'm going to totally miss out on my other books over this. Story, uh, Matteo Caselli and Brian Azzarello. And that's all you're going to get. Uh Oh, I, I almost read this the wrong way. <laughs> I Hate Fairyland, number two, from Scotty Young and Jean-Francois Bellew. This issue was just as amazing as the first issue, if not better. Um, if the, the comedy and the, the the ridiculousness of this comic doesn't put a smile on your face, just look at the, the different situations that Gertrude gets into and the places that you go in this fairyland. The rules of this world are so messed up and that everybody that you meet is just unhinged in some, in Mm. some unique way. And um, I am positively loving this comic. It's like reading a Saturday morning cartoon. It's awesome. Um, I've been keeping up with uh, Tokyo ghost after we did it for our uh, shared book of the week. And it's awesome. We're at the point in the story where we're watching uh, the big dude led kind of go through his detox and we're learning about, um, this other half of the world that's completely unplugged. And I might add that a lot of my predictions when we talked about that first issue are coming true. Mm. What's up with that? Uh, and really quick, uh, Martian Manhunter and Dr. Fate. I talk about these all the time. Both had issue number sixes. Feels like uh, things kind of came to a head and maybe like an arc ending issue for both. And huge, huge, huge things on the table for both books. Both of these have been outstanding from number one all the way to six. And I hope to see these continue and not get canceled because then I will cry. The end. Right, you had plenty of time. You could have read You could have read Jim Lee and Giuseppe Camoncoli's names. I'll talk about uh, <laughs> The Astonishing Ant-Man. Okay. It was great. All right. <laughs> that took about three seconds. Uh so in Tokyo Ghost, uh, one of my qualms was it didn't seem that the relationship really held together through that first issue. Has that deepened as we moved into two and three? The two main characters? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I got a lot out of that first issue. Um, I mean, one of the things that strikes me so much about this book is the um, the artwork from Sean Gordon Murphy. Mm-hmm. Like, he is just 
I've seen him do insane things with uh, Punk Rock Jesus and, and you know, a couple other things. Um, what was that? The the Wake? The Wake. Yeah. Uh, that he did Scott Snyder. But this book is just on another level. You know, sometimes you get comfortable with a person's style and you're like, oh, it's just that person doing their thing again and whatever. This is him kind of turning the amplifiers up to 11. Um, and yeah, it is it is very much about the two characters and him kind of coming out of the haze that he's been in for however many years that this has been going on. Um, he's he's changing, but he's realizing that without all of the enhancements, without all of the stuff that the, mm-hmm. the companies were providing and feeding him and all the junk that he was putting into his system, he's not as fast as he used to be. He's not as, you know, powerful as he used to be. So this world where everything is kind of unplugged and quiet and zen and they're living this kind of samurai lifestyle, he just thinks that he's going to go in there and just kick everybody's ass. He doesn't need to learn discipline, whatever. And, like, old men are taking him out with sticks. <laughs> and... At the end of a day like that, he can't handle that, and he goes home to Debbie, and Debbie is obviously, she's the rock, and just, you really get into just how much she cares about him and why she's even going through this with him. Like, he keeps asking her, why are you doing this with me? You could be somewhere else with someone else doing amazing things, and you're helping me do this. So, there's a lot of love. okay. There's a lot of love. All right. Forward motion. Lovely. Yeah. All right, Bob. Three minutes <coughs> on the clock. Wait. Now, yes, three minutes on the clock, and go. Okay, New Avengers number three introduced some fairly interesting sort of kind of otherworldly plot elements, but I'm still feeling very unconnected, so this title will be my first casualty of the new Marvel Universe, and I'll be letting it go, despite enjoying a lot of Al Ewing's other work. Say, lovey. It happens. Uncanny Avengers Annual 1, however, by James Robinson and Mark Laming, features a post-World War II gathering of mages united as the Department of the Uncanny to thwart the plans of the She-Wolf, or She-Witch of the SS, Hilda Hate. There's a World War II name for you. It's a battle they win, but only for a time, as in the present, Steve has to bring the group together again as her threat resurfaces. Got some nice surprises, and also the introduction of a new character, the Emerald Warlock, who will be appearing in Mr. Robinson's upcoming Scarlet Witch series, so... This is one of those things that could pass by people and they're not going to know it or see it. While I'm on a magical mystery tour, sorry, in uh, in Secret Six, number eight, the struggle to save Black Alice from the mystic forces that threaten to pour through the White Gate continues with a trip to Atlantis. Uh, it's Gail Simone and Dale Eaglesham, and they've just made this a series I'm really getting a kick out of every month. And it started slowly for me, but really, really picked up. Speaking of Ms. Simone, her Vertigo series Clean Room second issue is a kick of a different, darker sort as Chloe Pierce's meeting with Astrid Mueller finds her within the clean room itself. But will she emerge unscathed? Ha-ha. Uh, Pretty Deadly number six begins a new arc, but with the same lyrical, beautiful artistry as the first. This one's set during World War I, and Death and Her Reapers will ride again under the reins of Kelly Sue DeConnick, Emma Rios, and Jordi Belair, both what seems an errand of mercy for an old friend. Just absolutely, simply stunning again, as was the last. And there's Ms. Marvel number one, which brings us straight into Kamala's new status quo and the many changes since that day the world almost came to an end. And now some of those changes have Kamala in nerd heaven and she's now an Avenger. Others, particularly personal stuff, not so much. Best news is for those of us who've been reading Ms. Marvel, there is no change at all in how much care G. Willow Wilson has taken in making the leap into this new world. It really is still the same book we had before, just slightly different circumstances. 
that's it. All right. So, uh, yeah, Pretty Deadly was very good. <gasps> yeah. What are you excited I mean, for? I, know, I really no, liked no, the first no, volume. I, know, well, I, know, I wasn't I a hater yeah, on the yeah, first yeah. volume. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I, it, It's one of those things where I, I think the time jump is, is interesting and, and a welcome addition. Not a welcome addition, but a, a good way to begin the, the second mm-hmm. volume because it doesn't make me feel like I have to go back and pour over that that first yeah. volume. I mean, there are characters obviously that that move over, both immortal and mortal characters that 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 move between the two stories. But I do enjoy that it it takes us to another time period, another look, another area. I, and I but I like that it keeps that sort of, that structure that um that animals talking to each other yeah. sort of structure that sort of bleeds, butterfly and the rabbit. Yeah, yeah, that kind of bleeds into what's actually happening in the story, which I, I liked quite a bit. It was good. It was a good issue. Yeah. You know, I. My feeling about that though is just that I, if it follows the same track as the first volume, it's gonna take it's gonna be like three or four issues in where it really, it, I think it hits its it, it's like a high point for me because mm-hmm. the, things the, connect. There things are threads connect. that have yes. to come around exactly way in there. Yeah. yeah, it's not about individual quality. All the individual quality issues is all great, but it gets in that middle issue. It, it sort of starts feeding back into the first two and then feeding forward into the last mm-hmm. three. And so and at that point, it really becomes a, a just a really excellent beast at that, that point. And I'm looking forward to when we get to that, that point in the story. Yeah. Did you yeah. get a chance, Steve? To read Pretty Deadly? Mm-hmm. I did not. Mm. Uh, I want to read the first arc again before mm-hmm. I jump in because I there's no way. Mm-hmm. I, I won't get the full enjoyment out of it without having read that over again. Mm-hmm. What you really need is familiarity without mm-hmm. having tremendous knowledge but the yeah. more you know the better mm-hmm. but as long as you're sort of intuitive people haven't gone for a, a while again as the last one it's going to read so wonderfully as a novel yeah mm-hmm. which is fun too i didn't get a chance to read the back matter stuff yet uh, uh, it's about I, the valkyries yeah i yeah. always enjoy the back matter stuff nice. and pretty deadly yeah. so i picked it up i just didn't uh, mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. get to it yet yeah i will and so you pulled open Ms. Oh, I marvel loved, i love ms marvel i the, this issue was fantastic um not just because of the the Ms. Marvel stuff, which was great. There were other lessons and stuff yeah. to be learned from this. Um, one of the one of the changes and what's going on is that uh, I, somebody I I don't want to spoil stuff for people. Somebody that's a, a regular character in the book is now in a relationship, and it kind of changes another one, so to speak. And through that storyline, the fact that we are actually at the point with this character where you could be touched by what's happening with them and care about somebody other than Kamala, I think is a, is a testament to the issues that came before it. But um, we're actually shown in this one, believe it or not, that Kamala actually has a little bit of an ugly side. She yes. she makes a comment about somebody. She makes a, a joke that, that just falls really flat. And and it it then spurns out into this kind of wagging of the finger in a way, and it's good because it, it's it's important I think to show just as like as much wonderment as there is to her character that she is still just a teenager and she can be petty and she can be catty when she mm-hmm. wants to be, um, or if the situation calls for it. Mm-hmm. And um, I just I like that in the in the lessons that she's learning in, in superheroing that she's still learning lessons outside of that stuff too. And uh, I thought that the relationship that they that they feature towards the back of the book was very very touching and uh, 
had a lot of good messaging to it, especially in like this past week that has just been garbage all around. It was nice to read something yeah. pleasant. Yeah, it spring very naturally sprung very naturally from the end. Yes, the last days issue. Yeah, no, nothing. It hasn't. It's one of those books that came back and hasn't uh, skipped a beat. So uh, it continues. It continues its stellar quality. Yeah. I mean, so far the new number ones have been more. Good than bad in terms of where they're trying to go. It yeah, seems like definitely. There hasn't I think been so. much loss. No, no. For the books that were going, you mean that restarted yeah. with like similar with the similar teams. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they've really missed much at, at all mm-hmm. in in those intermittent points. Um, we'll talk about another one later, yeah. obviously, uh, as well. Two more, because you have one that you want to talk yeah, about right. as well. Uh, so we'll definitely talk about those. Um, all right. So for me, I don't know if I'm gonna need my whole three minutes today. Uh, so all right, three minutes and go. So. Uh, quickly, uh, let me look up the issue number because I forgot. 13, that's what it is. Rat Queens, <laughs> number 13. Uh, Curtis Weeb and Tess Fowler. We have, we're in the, the Mage City, uh, which is a home to one of our, our, our characters. And the series continues to be great. I, I think that uh, Fowler is a great choice of, of an artist for the series. And the 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 personality and the charm and the edge and the humor are still all there, and I just think it still retains to be a great series. I, I hope now this we're back into a regular flow because we did have a big gap where books weren't coming out mm-hmm. very often. I hope this means we're back on track because I mean the series is now I think two years old and yeah, it's or a year and a half old, or and we're thirteen issues in. Mm-hmm. So obviously we've missed a, a good chunk of time. So looking forward to see where where that all goes. And the only other thing that I've read that um no one else is talking about and that will we won't talk about a little bit later is because of jessica jones i i picked up the first six issues of alias um on comiXology they had a big sale 99 cents an issue uh i I think it's still going on while we're recording this i don't know when it ends it's definitely still going on on tuesday i don't know if it's going Mm -hmm. on on wednesday but i decided to check out the first as many issues i could i read the first four and brian michael bendis and michael glados I'm thinking it's Gatos. Gatos. Um, not Glados. Glados is a villain from a video game that I really <laughs> like. Uh, Michael Gatos. Uh, and it's a it's a Marvel um, Max series. So it w- came out at a time where it was sort of like there are kind of more adults, a little bit more adult brand. It was supposed to have less superheroes, stuff like that in, mm-hmm. in the world. And it's, you know, the same setup as the show. And we'll talk about this a lot. I don't want to tread too much on the same territory here. But it does the same stuff where we have a disgraced superhero who's looking for redemption, but is also sort of hiding out. And it deals in a lot of the same themes of, of you know, relationships and friendships and finding your place in the world. And the first four issues I read uh, were really great. I know it's a very, very highly regarded series. And obviously that's why they decided to make a, a television yeah. show out of the character based a lot on, on these, uh, on this series. But it was really great to read it and, and know where it all came from but most of my time over the last week has been well since friday has been watching jessica jones so i haven't had much time a lot of the comic book reading time was taken up yeah 13 hours for 13 hours of jessica jones i read stuff but one of them is my book of the week obviously one of them is bob's book of the week and one of them is our shared book of the week so it took away a lot of my options to talk about during the lightning round no no no, it's fine i'd rather talk have bigger conversations about them in your book of the week than than talk about it for 10 seconds so yes that's it for my my lightning round this week now it's I think more truth than comic book urban legend that Brian Michael Menace initially wanted to have it be Jessica Drew. Oh, really? Interesting. 
And in in her solo book way back in the in the eighties, she was a private detective at one point in San Francisco. It was a cult yeah. crime sort of right, thing. Right, yes. So it was use that character mm-hmm. who had sort of been an Avenger, had done mm-hmm. these things, and then take her down that very, very dark path in an adult book with yeah. real real nasty things going gonna happen to right. her. And Marvel was sort of, well, that's interesting <laughs> and all, but we might want to use this character again in the regular universe, and mm-hmm. how do we then make that work? How do we reclaim the character? It might be too damaged yeah. to do that. So she's still Jessica, though, so I think that's a, a neat little yeah, absolutely. homage yeah. to what he was going to do before. And he, and he ended up doing, he did that, uh, the Agent of uh, Hydra book or whatever with mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Uh, Agent of Sword, Sword book. Agent of Sword book with her. And he ended up doing that detective stuff yeah, with her. Yeah, he did her and origin. He did her origin as yes. well, yeah, which was really great yeah. as well, yeah. Is Jessica Jones in the current Marvel Universe doing uh, stuff? Probably somewhere. Well, in all the books that Luke is in, you're going to get to see her. So I yeah. think they're, they're a couple, up, right? Yes. They have a kid. They're, they're married. Yes. They're okay. Married. All right. All right. Baby, baby Danielle named, of course, after Danny Rand, the Iron Fist. Yeah. You can see, if you, if you read any of the Bendis. Avenger stuff, they're, they're, they're all over it. I remember but, when we were, we, I mean, that we've been doing this for a while yeah. now. I remember somewhere in there, she was, there was that issue, um, I think it was during, uh, it was, X, it was during AVX. AVX. It was that AVX. issue that was like from their perspective, yeah. Rogue's right. perspective. Yeah. Him jumping out of the plane yeah. at the yep. beginning. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. That was still a really good issue. I still remember that. Yeah. yeah. It was a good issue. No, was and she good. was very heavily featured in the Mighty Avengers. Mighty Avengers. Alvio. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. So, and I'm sure that. I can't imagine you won't be seeing a, a new series with her at some point soon. Well, I'm sure that. you'll see her in the uh, Power Man Iron Fist. The David right, but I'm saying doing. a solo series. Yeah. I'm sure you'll uh, get something. See a little bit like the, in the, near the Hawkeye stuff that was going on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like the the um, male Haw- Hawkeye, female Hawkeye. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sleuthy San Francisco yes. stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to see where, like, where if we see anything new from them. And it's interesting... Uh, that makes a total sense because when you read this, it was obvious he wanted, he created this character in whatever year this, where this came out, early 2000, uh, 2000 2001, 2002, two, three, somewhere around there. And he inserted her sort of into his, into the Marvel comics history from then on being like, you know, she was there during amazing fantasy 15 and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It was obvious. She, he wanted a character that had ties to all these different characters and sort of had to invent them on the fly for this. But using Jessica, Jessica mm-hmm. drew, yeah. obviously give him that, especially the, the friendship with, Carol makes ap- it makes total sense that yeah. that's what he was trying to do. All right, very interesting, very interesting. All right, let's talk about books of the week. Yeah, Steve. Hi. We got a, it's a, um, we got a lot of Marvel stuff to talk about today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's been uh, there's been some some decent Marvel books mm-hmm. for for all the the griping. Yeah, some of them have been really good. So tell us about uh, Sam Wilson, Captain America. Okay, so I went back and picked up number one on your recommendation. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Issue number two was was still really good, and then issue number three came out, and it's my favorite of the three that I've read so far. So I'll set this up for you a little bit. Uh, this is this comic features Misty Knight, and she's uh, looking for for Captain America. He's gone missing, and she's she's doing her you know badass uh, sleuthing into the warehouse bit. and it's all dark, and all of a sudden she gets attacked by this giant animal, like this giant boar. And it runs away. It's fine. Whatever. And she goes to turn on the lights and Cap's like, yo, he's like, I, I just before you do that, I got something to tell you. She flicks the lights and Captain America is a werewolf. So 
Cap and, and uh, Misty announces Cap Wolf is back. I'm assuming this has happened before. It's from, it's from the Mark Runwald era of Captain America. Yeah, mm. this, okay. it's a part of the Bloodstone deal. Was and, it and any good? You, yeah, so, yeah. Runwald's run was a lot of fun. And mm. if you go back even further, when it was Engelhart, they had the Deadly Nightshade, this lady scientist who created a whole bunch of werewolves, and Cap got to be a werewolf mm. then too. So he's done this a couple of times. All right. So what I hear about this is this this goes far. This this kind of turns from sort of. This this sort of socially aware sort of yes, serious thing into two. into the more sort of Nick Spencer, Nick Spencer yeah Nick Spencer like you know superior foes type of area it does and I I kind of I that's kind of what I really appreciated about it and why it made it to my 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 book of the week because I it, there's no there's no mystery that I I really dig his sense of humor I think he's a great writer uh, the stuff that he does kind of seems to be. Not under the radar, but I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. I didn't hear anybody talk about Superior Foes. Mm. I never really hear anybody talk about Astonishing Ant-Man and how clever it is and how good it is. And so I'm reading this, and I've been really enjoying it and kind of watching him do this. Not a, It's not a political stance. I mean, he, he is making statements mm. throughout throughout the books, but... um. Like, they, they had that big thing where, where everybody... Not everybody online, I'm sorry, but, like, of people online were like, like, he's fighting a white supremacist group, mm. and this is, you know, Marvel agenda mm. being pushed, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, it, God forbid that there be a book that kind of mirrors what's happening in the real world and kind of shows it to you, and it sucks, mm-hmm. because that's, a lot of that is what's going on right now. Yeah. So I... Being who I am was like, I really admire that. Mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And you know what? It, you have a problem with it? A little mm-hmm. too bad. So <laughs> Bob's laughing. That's he knows. Good. He knows. Yeah. So this came out. And I know Cap- Captain America's a werewolf. Werewolf is one of my favorite um, movie monster characters mm-hmm. or whatever. So automatically I'm like, yes, where is this going to go? And we finally meet up or in-depth meet up with this mad scientist Named Dr. Malice. I've never seen this guy before. Apparently he's been around for a while. I don't know anything about him. And I come to find out that a while ago he was actually eaten by carnage and digested in his digestive tract and then shat out the other end and became like a a animal manipulating like mad scientist veterinarian dude. And is now uh, making like monstrosities in B and B places where you could just rent online. And he moves in all of his his science equipment and turns people into like iguanas and giant tortoises. They look like uh, what was that character uh, Toka from the Teenage Mutant Ninja mm-hmm. Turtles? And um, it's funny. Misty Knight gets to make a whole bunch of werewolf puns, and it's just it's so much fun. Like, I've never, I, I didn't read any of the Captain America books. I haven't read Captain America since we've started this thing. I've always tried to jump on, but Bob is our Captain America guy, and you were not enthused by what was coming out. That's that's a good way to put for it. A, yeah. Well, yeah, for, for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I never bothered. I've read a couple of things outside of, um, you know, whatever's happening now, but I jumped on to this, and I mean, this, it really does straddle the line between being a little bit too much the other way in in terms of comedy, but there's nothing wrong with having an issue where Captain America is a werewolf for 32 pages, 26 pages, whatever it is, and it's just a silly good time while still while still continuing the momentum of setting up the main plot. Like you have that 
final, you know, splash page at the end where they're like, this is what's coming next. Bum, bum, bum. So you get that. And you get Misty Knight having fun. Cap has fleas. I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's hysterical. Yeah. So I loved it. I, this this book has been great so far, but this issue, this was the first thing I read when I picked up my books on Wednesday, and it stuck with me. And uh, I talked to our friend Lauren. We were hanging out. And I was like, yo, did you read Captain America? She's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> and we, we talked about it for like 10 minutes. It was great. So yeah, uh, Nick Spencer, Akuna, and Choi. Daniel Akuna. Daniel Akuna. I do not know. There we go. Daniel Akuna with Mike Choi. Yeah. And VCs Joe Carmenia. Yeah. What is the VCs? I don't know. I think it's like it's a company. I think yeah, it's like, I it's, like so. a col- yeah. it's a yeah, uh, it's a company that has like a bunch of. Uh, He's like a like a, they hired him out. Well, no, I think there's a company like a collective of. Um, what is he? Is he the colorist, the letterer? What is he's it? a letterer. A letterer. I think there's a, a a company of letterers, and they're like it's VC, and okay. so he's VC's yeah. Joe Carmenga. Right. Years okay. ago, there was a company called Richard Starkings Comic Craft. Mm. That was the same sort of deal. I, I believe. And by the way, I'm, all, I'm saying that without ever looking it up. So if I'm wrong, right. I, yeah. I totally accept it. Maybe. Sounds awfully right to me. <laughs> so there's like a like a like a representation within the representation of comics that there are letterers, and you, yeah. you go to them and like, hey. I have a book that, you know, needs this type yeah. of vibe. One of you guys can come do this Yeah, for exactly. Me. Yeah. It's like agency. Yeah, exactly. Lettering is a thing, man. It is I've, definitely a thing. Especially this year. That's why there's I, a credit for it. I've, I've seen some pretty bad lettering. <laughs> there's some bad lettering. There's if you don't, some... you got to hire a real letterer if you want your comic book to look good. Yeah. What do you think of it, Bob? I, as you did, I found it a really interesting turnabout considering how serious the first two issues were. And yet I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. It makes me wonder what his run is going to be you know because the first two issues would seem like he was going in a different direction and this one veers off of that and i don't have a problem if if he's gonna sort of zigzag i think that's cool mm-hmm. i think it keeps it fresh it keeps it it keeps it interesting but i i would just wonder what his sort of methodology because something like ant-man or something like superior foes th- there's a basic mission statement to those books that you mm-hmm. can you can see um with this it seems like he's sort of moving it around a little bit so i wonder what he's going to do the sam wilson captain america also from the beginning of this appears to be a little looser in character like it just there's there's room to kind of relax mm-hmm. and not have it always be like hard captain mm-hmm. america agenda there's room for for comedy i mean honestly if you ask somebody like Nick Spencer to write your to write your hero to write your book, there's probably going to be a fair amount of of comedic stuff in there somewhere, just to lighten the tone a little bit. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, but I wouldn't say I don't think like Morning Glories isn't funny. No. So I mean, he <laughs> he has he doesn't always have to write something that's funny. That's true. You know, so he he has other other sort of avenues to go in. But I'm I i do not mind it being fun, being funny sometimes. I just I wonder if he has a plan as far as how this all kind of works yeah. itself out. This issue ended in a way that can't you could take it the next issue mm-hmm. and be a little serious because there's something odd that happens. We don't want to spoil too much. And you could play that for laughs or play mm-hmm. it straight. So yeah. we'll see where we we go with that. But the, the cover we should talk about that is. Uh, I think it was a creepy magazine. It was a Richard Corbin mm-hmm. uh, werewolf cover from all those years ago. That that mm-hmm. attracted me right away. I said, make sure I get the regular cover. I don't want one of those variants. I want this one. <laughs> uh, and and the interior itself looks great. Daniel yeah. Kuna is, is great. Yeah. It's beautiful. He was doing Uncanny Avengers in the last, I think the last like 20 issues or something of that. He mm-hmm. took over that book and, and it was great on that. And it just beautiful stuff. Draws a great well. iguana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
this <laughs> when they jump through the window. <laughs> oh my god, I was dying. All right, so that's Sam Wilson, Captain America, number three. Yeah. All right, Bob, keeping the Marvel train going. Yeah. Spider Woman number one. Number one, Dennis Hopeless, Javier Rodriguez, uh, Alvaro Lopez on inks, Travis Lynam on letters. Now, as with a lot of these, you know, I'm getting more of a track record now that it seems like it's better, but I wasn't quite sure how this would play out What with, you know, Jessica Drew now pregnant. I mean, spoiler alert. <laughs> but, uh, and this happens after, during the Secret Wars. We don't know yet, but it doesn't really matter. But let me just say, it it came back with all the charm and snarkiness that the book had before. Yeah. So if you're concerned that now it's all going to be this maternity saga from <laughs> now on, that it is a big part of it, but it isn't everything. Yeah. There, Steve is on a page where I just love. We'll get to that one soon. Look, the same creative team is back, and it seems as if they're having the time of their lives showing it to us, telling the story. Because due to Jess's, well, delicate condition, she's on the sidelines, but she's still fighting super criminals because she's mentoring Roger Gocking, the porcupine, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is kind of dopey. He was a dopey villain years and years and years ago, and yet it, it just really works here. And while they're fighting supervillains, she's fighting boredom because <laughs> everyone's telling her, you can't do this and you can't do that. You know, Carol Danvers, because that relationship is back and, and really mm-hmm. up and running, She's sending her care packages of super protective alien gizmos so that so that now her belly can go toe-to-toe with Thanos. Um, Carol's even to the point where she wants to go to the alien maternity ward or the, uh, the OBGYN from space or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call what's going on here. And all of this, you know, Jess has a general annoyance about her change condition. She seems to enjoy it, but the, those lines about, you know, there's a, there's a cantaloupe on my bladder. Mm. It's it's very real what you'll hear pregnant ladies discuss and all that sort of stuff. Someone's been paying a heck of a lot of attention. Um, the art, uh, the, the sequence Steve has pulled up here, there's this, uh, really, it, it's a two-page spread that sort of meanders all over the place, two sides down, around and about, just very imaginatively laid out. Great attention to detail. They're just incredible. And it's a perfect match for this story that would have required something special. And that whole sequence, as well as the one in the uh, maternity hospital, but the only person I could picture doing it, any just would be Mike Allred. And this book so reminds me of something just really Allred. Just this is a great, really, really fun book, and it's near the top of my list of these relaunches. I just dug the heck out of this. The party scene is amazing. Mm -hmm. The moment, the moment on the second party page with Spider Man, yeah, where he's. His spider sense is going off. I won't ruin the joke. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! I yeah. I thought this was another another super strong uh, number one. It's nice to to see the, the the teams coming back to continue doing their thing, and and even with the new circumstances with her, I liked the the balance between the motherhood stuff versus the hero stuff. Mm-hmm. She's going to find a way to do both. Yeah, you know, and the whole like she does not strike me as somebody who would have wanted children, and she quite clearly states at the beginning of yeah. the book that she has no interest. She doesn't want it. There are 10 sticky fingers grabbing at everything. Right. <laughs> yeah. But throughout throughout the book, you see these moments where she's kind of by herself with the child or talking to her belly and stuff like that. And there's really sweet and tender stuff in there that there's there's going to be a, a transformation from from here to the to the birth, I think. And, uh, you know, we might get a whole other side out of this, out of this character yeah. after that. And if there's long-term plans for this... 
uh, it should be even more interesting. Imagine if they continue it out to when the kids in like a little stroller or something like that, and she's running down you know Manhattan streets <laughs> with the kid. One of those umbrella strollers. I'll still figure no, you it get, out. It, it is Marvel times. You got to remember, Franklin is about what is he now seven? He was born in 1968. Mm-hmm. So there are there are those issues to to take care of. But the one thing I will say, the one negative might be that as a jumping on point, yeah, in and of itself. It isn't really strong in that way because yeah. you, you need to know at least what she was doing before. Right. But if it, you're intrigued by the cover and want to read about a mother-to-be superheroine, this yeah. is this is your jam. I, with ones like this, with, with the ones that are same creative teams taking off from where they left off – something like this make, makes me feel – I mean, I think that they like the fact that they got – this break because they were able to totally put this totally new thing into, into mm-hmm. their story. You know, her being this pregnant, they couldn't have done if it was just the next, next issue. Yep. Yeah. I mean, they, they could have, they could have done a time jump, but that would have been a lot of narrative sort of hemming and hawing. And this way they could just do it. But you know, it definitely feels to me like this is, you know, spider woman number eight or nine, or whatever number mm-hmm. we left off at with the, with the last one. So it does not feel like spider woman number one. It feels just like the next issue of, of, of that series, which it is, you know, and that's, that's one of the things that gets tricky about the numbering with stuff like this, because I, you know, if I was on the other end of it, I have never read it. I probably would be a little, I might be frustrated by it. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you know, this looks yeah. beautiful, but what's going on. But as someone who likes the series, I didn't want them. I don't want them to spend an issue going back over yeah. stuff. So, and it's it's very hypocritical to what I say a lot of times when I talk about number ones. You know, so it's it's a weird push pull for me, yeah. trying to f- figure out how I feel about it in that way. But just as a reader of the book, I loved it. I thought that the the Javier Rodriguez is just great. I mean, he was so great. It was amazing that he was the fill in artist on Daredevil, and and when those issues were amazing, and it's so great to see him doing a monthly book because he just he deserves it a hundred percent. And Dennis Hopeless writes the character so well. She's she's smart and she's funny and she's tough, uh, uh, but she's also got a lot of depth to her, which it all shows in what's going on. And the, the very fact that I think the easy way to go about that character would be that throughout the whole thing, Ben is trying to pull her back from doing stupid stuff mm-hmm. when she's pregnant. But at a certain point, they have her realize that she can't do that stuff anymore and so she's willingly standing on the sidelines and that shows a maturity and depth of the character that i think in, a, in lesser writer hands wouldn't be there it would be just one character you know you can't do that you can't do that mm-hmm. keep pulling her back and her getting in trouble over a bunch not just her kind of self you know self sort of restraining herself to do to do this stuff so i, I thought that was really interesting I, I i have no idea where this the pregnancy thing is going to go and how they're going to resolve mm-hmm. it and what's going to happen but i'm definitely along for the ride for, yeah. for this book who do you think the dad is? I don't know. You shouldn't ask. We, I know, we, no, we, you we, know, we you discovered that. Ask. I had someone say, what's she going to give birth to a thousand little spider women or something? It's like, <laughs> oh, no, don't even put oh, that in my head. terrible. Yeah. Gross. Ugh. But amazing book. Spider Woman number one. Yeah. All right. So uh, my book of the week is, for the second week in a row, is a Superman-like story. That's so, okay. So Huck number one by Mark Miller with art by Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, came out from Image this week, and the book really hadn't been too much on my radar. I, I'm not a you know blind um, Miller fan. I, I like some of his stuff. I don't like other some other books that he writes. But he did an interview uh, right before this book came out, and it was talking about 
why he wrote the book in the first place, which was a reaction to seeing uh, Man of Steel and thinking that he even says he, he, taking the the sort of grim, gritty sort of superhero trope, which he himself helped popularize, yes. had gone kind of too far around the bend. And, and it made him rethink stuff and, and go back to the drawing board and want to write a book about a character, uh, a book that focused not on folks that he that he felt made superman great which were the things that clark would do and the personality and the the good deeds that he would do and not, not the powers the powers were the least interesting thing about what happened so the hug is a story about uh, a small town which has a boy who lives on a farm he's a young man you know he probably he's probably 16 that's what that's what he looks like to me he could be younger uh who does he could be older too does he works at the gas station and he does just does good deeds for everyone in the town that's all he does all day is he just he has a list of people and he just sort of goes down and he does good deeds for them and it's a secret no one outside the town knows about it but everyone who comes into the town you know once they experience what he does they have to be told like this is this is who huck is this is the secret that we keep and we keep it for this reason because he's this amazing amazing person who just wants to help people and so we protect him and he protects us um and most of this issue is just based around you seeing the stuff that huck does to help people and he has the same sort of powers when he can fly he's super strong all that kind of stuff you know but he does things from you know the the mundane to the the extraordinary you know he's finding bracelets uh, underwater that people that people left you know he he's helping people get their cars unstuck from the muds to all this kind of stuff you know and you see these pages here it's rough out in the art so it's possible good deeds for friday and then you <laughs> see him go through and he does stuff like he'll do he'll do stuff throughout the book to, to help people and and he's even goes international at some point as well so stuff starts happening and you know things go on there's a new person in town so stuff by the end of the issue begins to change uh I don't want to say too much because it's very much about immersing yourself in who this character is and, and sort of getting to know him, but just really a nice, touching story. And it was great to see this, this sort of character, this very much Superman at his core character in, in something else and being able to do sort of new things w- w- with the character. And the art by Raphael Albuquerque is, is gorgeous, of course. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think Albuquerque, a lot of the time... It does his best work when he's doing things that are off-putting or scary, and here it's the exact opposite. It's it's very beautiful and very serene and very warm and very inviting, and and uh, I think it's cool to see someone who's known for so much for doing one thing and being so great at it doing this other thing. But yeah, Huck number one was just a really excellent book. Ongoing or ongoing? <clears throat> I I don't know if is it. I thought it was one of four. You really? I think so. I can look it up if you want. I never know when I because it never it doesn't say one hundred four on the cover. I, yeah. I I never know. I'll take a look. Okay, um, let's see. I don't, um, I don't see it say four on here, but I look it up because I I would like okay. to know. That's a great way to flip. That's something awful. I don't want to go there with. What, what, yeah, but that someone who thought he was a participant in changing the the, the conversation, right? Decides that we need to step back from that mm-hmm. and to use the, the the hometown little place 
there's everyday heroism. You know, yeah. we see it all every day. And <laughs> it's it's great that that's then something to be the focus here, even if it is going to change. And we'll, we'll explore what that means. I'm sure there right. are consequences to what he does. There are people who take that for advantage. Yes, and of course. So on and so forth. Sounds fascinating. Yeah, because for me, it isn't about and this is why I always think the Superman argument falls off the rails for me when people say that he's not interesting because he's all powerful because it's not. He's so good. Order. It's not about. It's not about the character. I don't mind if the events around the character are troubling and difficult, mm-hmm. but it's about having a, a figure that doesn't bend and break to the things that ha- that every every normal person bends and breaks mm-hmm. to. He doesn't become a victim to his fears. He doesn't become angry or hateful. He does the right thing over and over and over again. And yeah, he can be challenged, and he and he can have times where. You know, he might think about think about doing the wrong thing or or slip up here or there, but it's about the overriding values that he was taught as a child, making him a symbol for the world to look up to and follow. And I also think, again, this is not going to happen here because it's, or maybe it will happen here, but it's different because the characters existed for so long, Superman. But playing the uh, the uh, the idea of a character who has so much attention on them and and is so important and meaningful to everyone and is a symbol, what does that mean for Clark? Because Clark has to live his life just like everyone else has to live their mm-hmm. lives. And I, I, I always find that stuff to be very fascinating as well. And I think that here you're going to see a very calm, g- good, just good person have to deal with some adversity coming up. And those are what a lot of the best stories are about. And so I don't mind if Huck is challenged and if bad things happen to him as long as I would like to see the and I, I would think that from what Miller said that what we'll see is him going through and bringing these values in the face of all this horrible stuff that happens. So that's what I loved about it. Again, it looks great. It, it it's written very well. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, from Image Comics, Huck number one. I can't find anything. Okay. Ah, I could have sworn because I wanted it. The okay. only reason that I didn't pick it up was because I thought it was one of four when I was doing the reviews list email. Um. So I was going to wait for it to be completed, but I could be totally wrong, as <laughs> I have been before. <laughs> they already, and already, it's yeah. already got because it's Mark Miller. He got picked up, he got optioned already for a movie no. or a TV show. I take everything back. Okay, the reason that I didn't pick it up is because I have no idea when number two is going to come out. Okay, well, that's it, not Mark Miller. That's because of uh, Frank Whiteley. You're talking about Jupiter's Legacy. I was talking about Jupiter's Legacy. I'm talking about what was the other one? Powers or not Powers? Um. Was it America's Got Powers? Was his? No, it's not him. No, who that was, was Brian? Who was Hitch. The, what was the one that we were reading at the very brilliant? Beginning? Yeah, that was Bendis. Shit, <laughs> <laughs> they're all the same person. That's the, that's a big secret in comics. That's yeah. why they're late. They're he's trying yeah, to write yeah. too many books on different names. <laughs> they're gonna fly through the windows any minute and take me away for giving that away. <laughs> all right, my energy is worn down from the beginning oh. of the show. So now I am filled with lies. So it's Huck number one uh, from Image Comics. All right, Bob, you assigned our book of the week this week, so why don't sure. you lay it on us? We we had a nice little vote, though. I thought you know we, we, we triangulated opinions, and so what I chose was the Mighty Thor number one, Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman, colors by Matthew Wilson, letters Joe Sabino, which I think is the entire creative team pulled over from the last volume of Thor. And as with what we discussed with Spider Woman, this picks up directly from where we left off, you know, issue number eight of the last one with the big reveal. So just to give you the whole, the big spiel that's on the top of the book here. When Dr. Jane Foster lifts the mystic hammer of Mjolnir, she is transformed into the goddess of thunder, the mighty Thor. 
Her enemies are many, as Asgard descends further into chaos and war threatens to spread throughout the Ten Realms. Yet her greatest battle will be against a far more personal foe, the cancer that is killing her mortal form. That's a hook. That makes you want to read the thing. <laughs> um, look, the plot threads are there too. I'm just gonna. I'll I'll be brief and then run to you guys. As you're seeing the evil uh, Malekith, his dealings with Roxxon Oils, uh, Dario Agar. Uh, the thrust of that main plot is that that Malekith has begun this War of the Realms. We we just sort of mentioned. And that's a campaign that will benefit both of them because, well, Roxxon has plans to sort of, I don't know, drill oil on their <laughs> planets and all sorts of crazy stuff. And the fallout of this war has already begun as Malekith drops the bodies of hundreds of murders, uh, murdered elves over the skies of the earth, and all to try to get Thor to take notice of this. That That's a heck of a calling card, I'm thinking. <laughs> But that leads to a, you know, a really great action sequence where you really see Thor's power and exactly how much power she really has. It's mm-hmm. The other Avengers go, eh, you take this one. <laughs> uh, we move back and forth between the realms, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, I've talked way too much already. Who would like to <laughs> jump on board here? You can never talk too much, Bob. <laughs> People like to listen. Um... Okay, well, you talked about a lot of the plot stuff. Yeah, what did you, how did you feel about this issue? Okay, here's the thing. Can I tell a quick personal story? Sure. I don't know, how, how am I going to stop you? Uh, you can't. Yeah. I haven't been able to stop you in five years, so I don't know how to stop yeah. you now. Super quick. Um, I, uh, I used to have to go to a, a cancer ward, okay? Um, there was a point in my life where I was very, very sick, and through the medications that they were giving me for other stuff, I wound up getting blood poisoning. Blood poisoning is not a good time. And when you get that, A, you have to be treated right away, but you also have to continue treatment. So making a long story short, I spent the better part of, I believe it was eight months uh, at the Stony Brook Cancer Center. And uh, this was while I was going to college. So I would basically go to school during the day and then leave school early. I would leave my classes early and drive all the way back to Stony Brook and do my work while sitting down getting intravenous treatments for for many number of things that I had going on. And I became a regular there because I was there for months. And I didn't have cancer, but I was around a lot of people that did. Mm-hmm. And I met some really, really amazing people that that were really, really just incredible people outside of those walls, both inside and out, jobs that they had, things that they'd gone to do, their families coming with them to drop them off. I would meet them, stuff like that. Um, I was going to school for video game and web design and was doing uh, 3D modeling at the time, so they were all very interested in watching me do that. And um, so I'm telling this because the Jane Foster character and the situation, I could not help but kind of go back to that time while I was reading this and aside from all the other amazing things that this book is doing, aside from like continuing on with, with this incredible run that Jason Aaron's been doing, Russell Dowderman's back, and all this other stuff, is they're taking one of the most like unlikely of scenarios and that you have a person that is dying of cancer and it's not going well for her either. Like there are people where it's like, you know, with fo- like uh, foggy stuff or whatever, like there's there's hope and there's mm. there's been no hope for Jane. They've been very clear. She's been very clear that like I am going to die eventually, mm-hmm. and being Thor is killing me because she nothing of what's happening to her when she's Thor is is taking effect. It's almost like she's being reset. Her mm-hmm. body's being reset. But the moment 
as she transforms back, she's right back into it. And the treatments that she's getting are being washed away by this transformation. I can't think of a hero more worthy of taking up the hammer. Like when it was the big mystery of like, who, who is it? Oh, is it, you know, is it Rosalind? Is it, is it this person? Is it uh, a, you know, a good version of the Enchantress? Whatever. Mm-hmm. That it turned out to be Jane Foster in the condition that she's in just makes that female Thor character so much more powerful, so much more interesting. And there, I don't know where he's going with this. I kind of have a feeling where he's going with this, but if this ends with Jane Foster dying and passing away, this is going to be one hell of an emotional run. Mm -hmm. If we're just, if every issue is just counting down until she can no longer do it. Mm -hmm. And one other thing, and then I'll shut up, is I love the fact that Volstag is kind of her her watcher, and that the people um, that are the, of the of the realms, uh, particularly uh, Asgard, they they hold her in such high esteem that like their senator is like her buddy. Well, meanwhile, he should be back, you know, doing Asgardian things and making all these decisions, and they're taking time to, you know, go and sit with her. He's mm. sleeping, but. You know, he's there. And uh, I just think that that's really cool. So there's a little, little yeah. something for you. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's a great... Like, it's it's interesting because this is the, really the first time that we get Jane in the book as Thor when we know it's her mm-hmm. and we get to experience sort of her side of the story as we go along. Because in you know in, in Thor, the, the series where we first met the character, a lot of times we were following... Odin's son during the time where we weren't with Thor in costume. Now we had the other side finally. And as great as those issues were, I think this issue is better because we finally have, we're definitely not playing the game anymore. We're never really not playing the who, who is it game anymore. We're just in it. And it doesn't make the character less heroic. It makes her more heroic mm-hmm. because her sacrifice is, is, the biggest sacrifice that you, that you can make. She she could easily just decide to wait until her treatments are over and then that's when she would become Thor and help people. But she she won't do that. Even to save people who are probably scum, she'll sacrifice herself to go and, and try and save their lives. And what I love about it is that Obviously, she is distressed about the fact that she is going to die, but she doesn't go into this being Thor thing with a frown on her face, mm-hmm. you know. And, and in fact, when we get the first transformation, she says this, this part never gets old yeah. when she gets to turn into Thor. It, I will say that I think that the sort of political landscape that's happening, I, I like the the, uh, the the machine that's going on there, mm-hmm. and the, the Senate and all this kind of stuff, and Odin sort of locking himself away and how there's political prisoners and there's a really c- disturbing climate going on. But I will say I did not, I did not remember or, or if I didn't remember, Oh, I did never know that Jane Foster was like a Senator to no. like this, like galactic council. Yeah. yeah. Earth Senator to, to the yeah. council of the 10 realms or something. Yes. Yeah. Did that maybe happen in between? I don't know. I don't, I think it must've been happening before. It must've been, it must happen at some point, but I just didn't know about it. So, so when she went to Asgard, I was like, "Wait, did they did they know that she's Thor?" And it, t- it took me till like the middle of this issue to realize, no, they don't know. And 
that Thor is wanted and and because they call, they think she's a thief and and all this kind of stuff. So there's a lot of stuff going on there that that I really I, I thought was a little confusing, but I think is effective. Uh, of course, it looks amazing. I mean, I just want I, every frame, every stroke, yeah. every everything is gorgeous. And does the emotional stuff well? Does the disturbing stuff well? And does the action-based Thor stuff j- as good as anyone I've, I've ever seen? I mean, when that camera is screaming through space on fire, re-entering the, the atmosphere, it's just unbelievably gorgeous. Um, everything about it is just great. Uh, Steve, you were on that transformation page before. That transformation page yeah, got me. Where she's getting, she's turning into the to, to Thor, mm-hmm. and that is is yeah. so detailed and, and so meticulous. And so beautiful, you know, the sort of horrible thing that happens right at the start is is very effective because of just how striking it is to look at. Um, and then w- w- everything about it is great. And then I, the, the, the sort of the, – the, the moment at the end is great because yeah. it's the first time we will see these characters sort of – in lock together and i'm not going to give it away because it's it's a really good it's a really good uh reveal but i'm excited to see where all of that goes just a tremendous mixture i mean it's epic grandeur mm-hmm. but real humanity it's not even just comic books as you say jane's sitting there in the chemotherapy ward mm. trying to minister to other people i think her blood pressure is a little high her heartbeat's a little mm-hmm. right why don't yeah. you just sit down doctor and take care of yourself for a change and just very, very effective. I feel as you do, Steve. I mean, I can see that being an ending and being something that would just bring the house down. Well, I don't, she, and I don't want that to happen to her. And she's that's, such that's, an important that's a, character shows, yeah. to that to that universe and and to Thor. I mean, I'm assuming that that's how it's going to end, and he's gonna he's gonna take the hammer back up at the end in honor of, or he's just going to learn new things through her in order to be worthy again. Like she's going to show him what worthiness yeah. is, and mm-hmm. that's going to be her legacy, and well, but it's going to be tears, one way or the other. <laughs> did, did you notice the inscription on the hammer has changed? No, I didn't actually. Because here's if, a, she, if she be worthy, oh. it says on the hammer. Because here's the thing: like they can't just they can't end it with them finding like some magical way of just magicking away the cancer, right? No, but she could get better. She could. Yeah, I don't know if it's gonna happen. I I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think. I just don't think. I mean, I could be totally wrong, obviously, but I, the character seems too vital at this point uh, to just get rid of her in that way. I am all for her living. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, no. Odin's son in this issue. Nope. No. 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 I just say we're telling the other side of the story. Yeah. Not, not, he's mentioned. Yeah, and he'll be back. Yeah. He is featured on this ridiculous yes. cover oh, of man. the year. I yeah. Mean, cover. <laughs> Uh, this thing is just so yeah. epic. Now, yeah. by the way, we should briefly talk about, I guess, the price of some of the new Marvel books. They yes. give you some extra content here and there. But it's not. It's uh, one of our listeners had said, yeah. I, "Thor is four ninety nine too," and like this was four ninety nine. Ms. Marvel was four ninety nine. You did get nine extra pages there, right? Of story, but still, I'd, but, ra- I'd rather it be the normal length and be three ninety nine. <laughs> right. But need... Image Books give you that, and they're two ninety nine exactly. and three forty nine exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Spider Woman was three ninety nine, so that wasn't any yeah. more expensive. And then uh, there's a couple more expensive ones this week. Um, it just it's too much, and, and that's one of the things too. Is honestly, I really want to. I love Miss Miss Marvel, but I didn't buy it this week because I'd already bought two five dollar books. I was like, yeah. I can't buy any more five dollar books. 
Um, really quick, I forgot to mention this in my lightning round, but mm. I wanted to. The I Hate Fairyland, this entire book is Atlas. Everything in the back is uh, extra oh. covers and artwork. Well, a lot of image this. books are Atlas. Yeah, but like sometimes it's like they save it for the way back where it's like, you know, this trade's coming out of this one. Well, yeah, they do that when it's like, but that's the choice of the creator. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, as far as value, this is 350 and it's a meaty, it's a meaty issue, and and it's one hundred percent book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the so. DC still has two ninety nine books. Some, yeah, not many. But They're they running out of them. Some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Doctor Fate and Martian Manhunter. Yeah. Secret Six was also. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we had a couple people ring in about Thor. Oh, uh, Chris's huge tiny mistake says perfection. Um, Jesse Bowden says when the art is so. Uh, it's so incredible. I don't know how you talk about anything else. I'll check out number two <laughs> just for Dowderman and Wilson. Um, Sammy Cassell says, want to know why Thor is my favorite book? At Jason Aaron is my favorite writer. Read this book. Talk about brave, heroic, and worthy Jane. Uh, Carol Cross says, picked up perfectly from Aaron's previous two Thor books. Art was just as great as, as the spot on writing. A plus. Grab it. Read it. Love it. <laughs> um, Amen to all of those. Yes. Uh, you can chime in with your thoughts using hashtag TCBOW. And we have a... Uh, a big one for next week. Should be an interesting conversation. Uh, Silk number one? Silk number one, yeah. <laughs> Howling Commandos, number one. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, uh, Dark Knight 3, The Master Race. Ah. Frank Miller, Brian Azarell, Andy Kubert from DC Comics. That book's five ninety nine. <laughs> Is it? Yes. It'll be in our shared account, don't worry. Yeah. In our Comixology account. I'll probably end up buying it yeah. anyway. Um, there are 14 different covers. Yeah, yeah I saw that. Lots of uh, Carrie Kelly covers. There's at yeah. least five of those. Yeah, It's a popular character. I wonder if there's a Looney Tunes mm. cover. Probably not. I would doubt it. Yeah, I know. So it's got a good buzz so far. I haven't read any of the reviews, but I've seen some scores. Um, but we're going to read it, and then we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited, well, too. I, I, you know, At least it's going to be interesting, regardless of right, what it is. We haven't had a good in yeah. a while. It's going to be really disappointing yeah. if it's not. We're like, oh, we kind of liked it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really funny, considering the conversations we've had in the past about Mr. Miller. Well, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he has help here. Does and um, so that's Brian Azzarello yeah. is is a big help. And the the thing that got me initially, at least a little bit peaked, excited about it was the Azzarello issue of Batman that he did. Um, I forgot. I think Jock was the artist on, on that one, and it was about uh, the uh, the the black kid who got gunned down. Yes, in Gotham yes, City, yes, yes, and that, okay. so that seemed to be that feels like something that would be in one uh, in a Dark Knight book. So with him bringing that to it, uh, it who's uh, the artist? Uh, a- a- Andy Kubert. Mm-hmm. Andy Kubert. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, been a Batman artist for a very long time. Okay. It does great work on Batman. So I'm interested to see what that's like, and some of like the the spinoff things have interesting teams on them too I don't know what, how many I'm going to buy but I'll definitely check out some of them there's spinoffs to the Dark Knight yeah there's like different the characters from the universe so there's like Superman and stuff like that yeah it's, we of think course. they were going to do spinoffs they did They did like 56 Watchmen books when they did before Watchmen yes. that's true man what a disaster <laughs> that was some of them were okay there are a couple that were good yeah. but oh man Silk Spectre was good Doctor Manhattan was very good. Yeah, and the team one, which is now out of my hands. Oh God, um, Minutemen. Minutemen was yeah. was good as well. Those were all good. The rest, not the so rest were. Uh, some of them started strong and just like the comedian had a really good first issue and then sort of petered out. That was a weird time, man. That was like there were so many of those books coming out, and then I remember it. It, it was like Fast and Furious for a while, and then there was like a lot of delays, and then yep. by the time the last ones came out, I just I forgot that there was. I remember specifically the pile. 
the pile mm. of extras yeah. that were just sitting on comic book shelves and they were just they were just trying to give them away. <laughs> they were like, you know, a dollar a piece for back issues yeah. just cuz everybody the set. Yeah. <laughs> everybody ordered so many assuming that it would be this this giant thing that everybody wanted and it turned out that you know, not a lot of people were interested. Uh, no, they started out interested. It sold well sold well at the beginning. Here's a question. Mm-hmm. Uh Sandman Overture is done yeah. and it's the hard covers out Are you mm-hmm. going to get it? Yeah, probably eventually. Yeah. Okay. I've never I, I haven't even read the original one. <laughs> it's true. That <laughs> I read the first the first volume and I liked it. Yeah, I mean that book I that would definitely if that book had come out regularly and on time, that was a book I definitely would have read mm-hmm. every time it came yeah. out. But I mean it, I, what was it? Nearly a year before the second issue came out, I mean like 6 yeah. months. Here's the thing, That's do as we far have as to, I got. Yeah. Do yeah. we have to read it before the end of the year? I mean, not. It's. I don't think anyone on the show is going to bring it up. Probably not. <laughs> Art-wise, but then, but now. Nah. Yeah, no. I that don't gets, think so. That gets money. I already have my my artist of the year, so. Hmm. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm calling the shots this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm picking the artist of the year. I don't think that there's going to be much contest for that. We'll see. I don't know. I think there's a couple of very strong candidates. We'll see for that. I know something. Uh, tip our <laughs> tip our hands, but. There should be some. I can tell you that I don't think there'll be much contest on breakout artist of the year. Oh, absolutely. I don't think there'll be any contest on that one. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> We've literally <laughs> talked about him almost every every week for the last two months. All right. <laughs> yeah. We can't pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we do talk oh. about him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of a jack of all trades person we're talking about. That could be many many categories. Yeah, but breakout. I said breakout artist. Okay. I didn't say many categories. I said you could win breakout artist. All right, <laughs> all right. So, all right. So we'll see. There's gonna be there's gonna be a. He uh, could be nominated for the other the main other event. category. Uh, as well. Yeah, I, you never know. Could be nominated for both. Who knows? It's oh, a crazy no. world. Oh, we're gonna have Mara with us it's this crazy, year. Aren't we? we are. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Star everything. Star no. Wars. Is gonna yeah. I got his um his PSN name the other day. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was he was saying that too. He was saying that that they like connected on. Yeah, PSN. he wants he wants to play Destiny. Yeah. It was like, as soon as I'm done with Rise of the Tomb Raider, man, it's on. He's very friendly. He seems like he's very friendly. Yeah. Can I ask a Star Wars question? Yes. Okay. 100%. The Greg Rucka series that was the lead up to the movie, is that the Shattered Empire? Shattered Empire, yeah. Because that trade just came out. It came out, yeah, yeah. They did it quick because I knew they wanted to get out before the movie. Okay. Yeah, Shattered Empire. And then I think we're pretty much on lockdown with anything um, canon related until the movie comes out. And then after that, I'm sure the floodgates will open because they delayed the, the book. The Star Wars like novelization mm-hmm. book until after the movie came out. I have heard from a friend of mine that she and her husband were in the toy store. Oh, and really? There are some toys that are spoilers. Oh yeah, they're definitely. I'm sure. Yeah. There, I'm sure there are. <laughs> I think clips are starting to show up. Yeah, they were doing the. They're doing all the movie, the, the TV spots and everything. And I just nope. I'm like zip. Yeah. Yeah. Done. No, I, I. What's unfortunate for me is I have, I have a ticket to go and see Star Wars, for Friday. I'm leaving for Canada that day. It's a shame. There's no time for me to do both, <laughs> so I have to. I have to tell my girlfriend, like, you're gonna have to get tickets for that weekend. I don't, yeah. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but do it. I'm sure she'll be able to get tickets. Go on Sunday. Uh, yeah. Saturday's gonna be rough. <laughs> Go Sunday morning at about 3 a.m. Yeah. But, I think we should go to the 2 a.m. Friday night. That would be good. Well, there's some theater out here doing the ultimate marathon. Yeah. It's all six of them. That's not really the ultimate marathon. Just show the first the three. <laughs> <laughs> we had that marathon at my place. Yes, oh, uh, all six movies in one day. 
I came in. I was at work. I came in for the second, well, the final two thirds of the third one, no, and then no, the next no. three. Yeah, I saw Sith. I thought you showed up for New Hope. And... No, I saw those, but I saw the. I saw the no. I saw that part. No. Oh my God, those movies. It's true. They're so. But they'll be wiped away soon in the in the flush of good feeling for J.J. Abrams. That part where they're in the field rolling around. Oh my God. So bad. I'm going to Stephanie. We're gonna call. We're gonna get Stephanie in here. Hey, hey. Talk about Jessica Jones. She's not here yet. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna stop our recording and then we're gonna come right back and talk about Jessica Jones while we get her on the line. All right, we're back, and we've got a Stephanie Cook with us. Hola. Hello. 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 Fresh off finishing Jessica Jones, Stephanie yeah. is here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Marvel's Jessica Jones uh, premiered on Netflix this week. Um, much like Daredevil earlier this year, 13 episodes all out at once, and we're following Jessica Jones, a former superhero, now Private Eye, who is trying to find her place in the world, uh, mostly with a big bottle of booze, <laughs> and and um, come to grips with things she's done and the sort of demons that haunt her, both in her brain and in, in an actual life. So, again, it falls the same sort of mold in the fact that it is... Very adult, very dark, um, and continues, I think, an interesting trend. Moving off, Daredevil is definitely the most famous of the four heroes that we are going to see in these four series, and Jessica Jones is the the least famous of all of them, but it's but getting her own series, it's, it's, it's really amazing that we get to see this character who, you know, 15 years ago didn't even exist but you know but five years ago you would never guess would have been in, in this place right now so it's really exciting for that to happen melissa rosenberg who was um uh well she's <laughs> she's most famous probably for uh being involved with the twilight movies but she was one of the create executive producers and writers on dexter for uh, for its first three or four years um she's been gestating this project for years and years and years it started at abc um, and we've heard some stories in the last couple of days about um, when it was at ABC, Carol Danvers was part of the show, stuff like that. Um, but once it moved to Netflix, things sort of changed. Um, and yeah, we got it here. Jessica Jones is out. Our second of the Netflix series is here. Um, Stephanie, you just finished watching it. I did. Like literally, like just before you called. <laughs> so... Of course, again, I said at the beginning of the show, but let's reiterate here. This first opening section will be non-spoilery. We're going to talk about general impressions of the show. We'll then give a clear warning and then go into spoilers. I will say this, like I said about everything else, if you want to know nothing about Jessica Jones before you watch it, you probably don't want to listen at all. Because we are going to talk about what we think of performances. We're going to talk about characters publicly that people know are in the show, like big major characters. But if you don't know... You know that's that this person is the villain in Jessica Jones, and you you're, because your people goes in totally fresh. That's awesome. We're gonna talk about that stuff here. We won't talk about any late plot points or anything like that, but we're gonna talk about setup and what, what we think about the show. Um, so yeah, so that's the fair warning to everybody. Stephanie, what did you think? Kind of overall impressions of Jessica Jones? I loved it. Like, um, I'm a big fan of film noir and, um. I, I read the first volume of Alias like a few weeks ago. I believe I talked about it on the show. And um, this was so well done. Um, it incorporates everything that the comic book um, really set out to do. 
uh, and to really embody. Um, and I thought it was great. It doesn't even really feel like something Brian Michael Bendis would put out there for me. Like this feels like very Brubaker, um, very fatal, very, um, you know, like criminal and a lot of the stuff that Brubaker has been working on with like Sean Phillips, like his bread and butter over the years. Um, it felt like that to me. Um, you've got this great character, um, Jessica Jones, who is like street level in every single way possible. Um, you know, like her power set is very um, cookie cutter superhero and she does the best with what she's been given. And that also plays into um, her demons too. Uh, she's got a lot of, she's got a bad hand. She's been dealt a bad hand, but she's not folding. She's, you know, continuing the game and hoping to get, you know, to turn things around. And uh, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. I don't know if I knew how I felt about Kristen Ritter being in the part, um, but she does such a perfect job. Um, I really don't think I could picture anyone else being in the role now. Um, <laughs> I, I think somebody was telling me about it today um, at work, but they were like, this is um, her character from Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23's Darkest Timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I really want to talk about the character, the other person that's in this. That's like, um, her BFF. <laughs> um, but I'll save that for, um, I mean, you can talk about her. She's a major character in the show. Is she? Yeah. The, the person like, who... I didn't really know that she was in it. Really? You didn't know that she yeah, was in it? I didn't know because I didn't watch any of the trailers because I didn't want to be spoiled. Okay. But, but, but we're talking about it. The, anybody who's sort of um, one of the major sort of four or five characters in the show, we can talk about openly here. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Trish, um, I didn't know that like for several episodes that that was who, um, I guess who she is is not a secret then. Yeah, Trish Walker. Yeah. Okay, Trish Walker. Yeah. AKA Patsy Walker. Yeah. Yeah. AKA Hellcat in some timeline yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And like, I like peed myself when like <laughs> I, my friend came over um, and Danny and I were like watching um, movies with pizza or the show with pizza on my couch. And um, when um, she's coming out of uh, her like office and the, this dude runs into her with a comic and is like, I'm such a big fan. <laughs> and I was like, ah, like, I freaked out. I was like, ah, it all makes sense. <laughs> I was so happy. I was like, oh, like everything's right in the world. Um, and um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really solid, um, a really solid first season. And, um, uh, not spoiling anything in terms of what um, what's to come, but um, I liked how they left things off too. Like I, I liked where Daredevil ended, but I felt like Jessica Jones did a really excellent job of building up what the next season is going to focus on. It definitely did. It definitely much more than Daredevil gave you. Like here is going to be the storyline 
for Daredevil's like here's a costume. Daredevil's like here's it's Daredevil, like, yeah. Here's a story. Yeah. Um and there's like something else and there's like a Jones like a hook, you know. And, and overall for me, um I loved it as well. What I think is most interesting about Jessica Jones over everything that Marvel has ever done is other than the fact that it stars a woman, which is obviously a huge thing, uh is story-wise though is that it's not the story of someone who gets superpowers or has a trauma and becomes a superhero. Jessica Jones has no, she is a hero, but has no interest in putting on a mask and being a superhero. The the end of, like in Daredevil, the eventuality was always, he's going to end up in the costume and he's going to be Daredevil. That's the eventuality of a Daredevil story, just like it's eventually of an Iron Man story or what have you. Jessica Jones is someone who, she's already had that story, and we haven't seen it. It did not go well. She did not become Tony Stark, Iron Man. You know, she's not She's not Natasha. She's not any of these people. She Something very bad happened, and she had to move on and, and figure out another place in the world. And so, just like you were saying, Stephanie, where Daredevil ended, like, this is the costume, this is where we're going. Jessica Jones is just a story, is an ongoing story about people just existing and living in, in this city. Um, and I love that about the story. I love the fact that you were living with these people and, and not just her, but her, her whole surrounding cast. Uh, I was a big fan of her um, next door neighbor, Malcolm. I thought mm-hmm. that was a great character. Uh, very no powers, just a normal guy just in the middle of all of this sort of c- craziness that's happening around him was, was, was really great. I loved uh, Trish Walker's part. Um, Carrie Ann Moss, who plays this, this, this lawyer named Hogarth is her last name. Uh, she's a complete snake in the grass and at times a really despicable person, yeah. but never anything less than fascinating through, through that the, the entire show uh, for me. Um, you know, I, I, and of course, of course, I, I think I'm going to say it right now. I think what you have is probably the best villain in yep. the Marvel universe. Um, incre- like definitely the creepiest that there's no question in my mind that he's the creepiest. Um, but much like they did with, kingpin in 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 the daredevil in daredevil season this is a despicable person he, he there, there there is nothing there, there is probably no ounce of good within uh Kilgrave's body but there are times where they build they're playing with you they're they're playing with your emotions and playing off what you're used to seeing in stories about characters like this you know, is he really as bad as 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 they think he is? Is he just misguided? And they're—I mean—they rip those things away from you. But like, it, it plays with you in a very interesting way, much like Daredevil plays with you in in the matter with with Wilson. So, uh, you know, I think that the like Stephanie, the noir aspects of it, I loved. Um, you know, I have like small criticisms of some things that happen here and there, some story progress stuff and some character stuff. But that's more spoilery, and I don't want to really talk about that right now. Yeah. But I over, want to quickly just like mention. Yeah just touch on add on to the Kilgrave thing yeah. and um you know he has a very specific um power set um but for me the creepiest thing about him is not his powers but his entitlement oh yeah absolutely and at the core of it the you know like that's not the scary part to me it's like so rooted in a realism that is like, you know, something that women deal with, like literally every day. Mm-hmm. Um, men being like entitled to them. Mm-hmm. And it's like this 
really like it's like the fall or something with Gillian Anderson. Like, you know, in, in the terms of it could have been a show like that where one person who's dangerous and is obsessed just kind of can't let go and um, just can't move on. They can't give up on the idea that they are meant to be with this person and they uproot everything in their lives to make it somehow like to make it happen. And it's this story that could be so ordinary and it's just given the slightest tweak and it becomes Marvel's Mm -hmm. version of it. And I just thought that that was so well done how they handled that because again, like normally someone with superpowers is someone that you're scared of. And again, like, that wasn't why I was scared of him. Right. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into this, I think, later once we get a, a more general questions from Steve. But the idea, the thematic elements of the show are by far the most mature and adult thing that Marvel's ever done because it does deal with stuff like you're talking about, Stephanie. It deals in very real things, but uses these extraordinary things to drive them home. And I found the overall message of the, the season and the show to be one that something that you don't see all the you don't you never see in superhero fiction. Yeah, as far as like the main, like the the produced television movie stuff, because they're all, almost all again from the perspective of men, not from the perspective of women. Really, to be really important, and I think that it was that was one of the things that stuck with me above just how good the show was in general. Steve, what are your overall impressions of Jessica Jones? Uh, I thought it was very, very brilliant. However, I am kind of two minds about it as far as its its progression and stuff like that. For me personally, on a first watch, mind you. It was very much Jessica Jones episodes like one through eight. And then there was Jessica Jones episodes nine through 13. Nine, no spoilers, no nothing. But just in general, um, I had a lot of nitpicks about the series in the episodes one through eight, let's say. And then nine hit and nine was was where things just kind of went off the deep end the the end of that episode we'll, we'll get to that uh in a little bit really kind of shook things up for me and and woke me up and i was like oh wait a minute like i gotta i gotta get comfortable get, get reacquainted i'm gonna go take a, a snack break <laughs> or whatever and come back to this and that ride from 9 through 13 really kind of sealed sealed the deal for me and answered a lot of kind of my my nagging questions or took care of characters that I wasn't necessarily feeling the whole way through. Um, I don't think that it was perfect by any stretch, but the the messaging of it, uh, kind of the slow burn noir approach to the material, I thought was fantastic. Um, I did think at times that it was a little uh, needlessly gratuitous in, in certain respects. Uh, like I said, I did not always jive on the characters. Certain characters I loved right out of the gate and others I really struggled one I never even got there with that I just could not get on their side um but I mean general impressions I don't want to go into too much because then I'm going to end up with spoiler territory but uh Kilgrave was uh, I mean I, I tweeted this out and you you said it earlier best villain in the cinematic Marvel universe so far for me without any doubt he chilled me to the bone awful and stephanie uh headed on uh, headed on the head too when 
the stuff that he that he his his influence stuff that he does as terrible as that is it's the person that he is that he's being when he's not using his powers that's almost more frightening because that side of him is still manipulative but in a different way and when you're when you almost feel yourself kind of sympathizing with him for a second the pacing of the show at least with that character they would do something to remind you, like, you know, they'd slap you in the face with something. You'd be like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Like, I almost felt sorry for you. No. Right. You are. You're the worst. Mm-hmm. So I really I really like that kind of toying with the audience or just the way that I was being pulled by him and kind of pulled and roped into his stuff. And that's exactly what he does. I think the execution of that. And I don't know that we, we've ever had uh, like a mentalist. In, in any of these no. movies or any of these shows, um, the, just the writing of that character I thought was stellar. Yeah, uh, David and, Tennant. We haven't even said his name, but yeah, yeah, David, David Tennant. Tennant. Yeah, and uh, and I really, really, really enjoyed uh, for all that he was in it for the the few episodes he was in it. I loved Luke Cage. Yeah, my culture was great. Yeah, and it made me excited to see the future of that. And but I thought they used him the appropriate amount because yeah. it's not his show, right? It's her show. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, and they're, they have, they're, but they're great together. They have a great chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Um, and what goes on between them is, is very deep and has a lot of scars and bruising. And like it, it has, there's a very complicated relationship there, which I thought was really good. And again, different levels than what we've seen in, in the movie side, a uh, movie side of things, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was great. And I just want to, because we mentioned some of the the character names, I just want to run down really quick. I just want to say their names. Uh, Rachel Taylor, is, she she plays Trish Walker. Um, Ika Darville is who plays that uh, plays Malcolm. I just wanted to mention, and I want to say as well, um, Aaron Moriarty who plays Hope Schlotman, who is a mm-hmm. is a after the first episode not very seen character, but is always is a huge part of of the driving force of that show. Does a great job with with, with yeah. her scenes and, and wh- wh- when you have her it, it there. Um, yeah, I, I think overall performance wise is great. And I talk about Kristen Ritter for a second. Uh I think Seventy actually when she got cast, you said on the show, you're like, I like her. She's like you're like, I wouldn't picture her for the that role, but honestly, I don't really picture her for any role. <laughs> you know, because she's just such like an interesting, different yeah, she person. She's such a unique yes. look to her. Yeah. Like she, I can't picture her being anybody mm-hmm. outside of like just an original right. character. So yeah, like yeah, I don't know, and I, but... I feel I feel the same way about her. I mean, and we, I, but she nails it for me, and it's a very tough balancing act, right, to do a story about a character who is broken because Jessica's broken. You know, she, she she she's not weak, but she's definitely broken. The stuff that's happened to her is like somebody said, she's dealt a horrible hand, and the stuff that's gone wrong with her is just it would break anybody. But it's about her picking up those pieces and becoming uh, uh finding herself again in, in a in a different way and it's very easy to make that person seem weak and but Kristen Ritter you never get a sense at all um there's vulnerability absolutely and there are these moments where when she's vulnerable in in, in those in those episodes it's heartbreaking when that that stuff happens and you, you can feel it coming out when you when when she starts to crack when these bad things start happening around her it's it, it's just amazingly powerful because of how good she is but I mean, she's got, she delivers those sardonic, like, sarcastic lines so well. It just, 
It's like a, they're like punches. She is the April Ludgate of the Marvel universe. <laughs> yeah, very much in the in those first couple of episodes, yeah. especially. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. I was like, it's like watching April Ludgate get yeah. powers. Yeah, uh, and much like they did again with in Daredevil, the way they built up Kilgrave, and especially using her as because of how much she's affected by him. You see her, you know, throw somebody through a window. And then the moment she hears Kilgrave's name, this is all the first episode, so that's the only thing, she wants to run. She wants to leave the city and go to Hong Kong. You know, so there is, you, 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 they build that up very well through there. And I think that the show, the, again, not spoiling anything, but the way the show pays off, it pays off really well. And that the finale is mm-hmm. stellar. Uh, and everything leading up to the finale is stellar as well. Once, once I enjoy sort of the um, one through eight sort of, we're just going to learn to know these characters and kind of spend some time. It's definitely not a fast paced moving thing. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that stuff. I love it. And I think it makes nine through 13 work as well as it does because yeah. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Episode nine is crazy. Episode nine is insane. Um, and once that stuff starts happening, it's just nine. To pedal th- the metal. Yeah. For me, nine, nine was the marker where things starting started to pay off mm-hmm. and kind of, th- threads that I was wondering about where they had gone or why they were even there. Mm-hmm. And then it all started to fall into place and be like, okay, like I, I like this character. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss, I thought was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like her in a lot of stuff, but I thought she was great as, as Hogarth, but there were aspects of, of her character that I'm like, why are we spending so much time talking about this thing with this character who appears in like three episodes but we're spending we're spending what felt like a considerable amount of time with this threat, and I'm like, why are we doing this? And then you realize that later they play a very significant mm. role in kind of proving just just how dangerous the villain is to that per- the person that we needed the most to be on board. Mm-hmm. If that if that wasn't there, you you wouldn't you wouldn't have had that payoff later. And it's right. very much that whole slow burn approach to things but for a while like i couldn't see it Mm -hmm. and i was very caught up in that and i was i was getting a little agitated with with certain things and certain characters that just didn't seem to be going anywhere in some regards but once that once there's a huge turning point in the series once that happens and all the cards are on the table everything starts to fall into place and i was like re-energized mm. and i mean 13 episodes 13 hours sitting and watching anything as much as you love it or whatever is a marathon mm-hmm. so to a to have like the gun went off again and i was just like you know the horses were out of the gate <laughs> and we were we were going all over again and that ride from 9 through 13 was top-notch stuff yeah absolutely um stephanie what did you think of the uh, luke cage and their kind of relationship they built up between the two of them I really enjoyed it. I loved that complicated um, twist. I mean, she's drawn to him for very um, guilty conscience reasons. Like she's, she's drawn to him because of something that's happened and she doesn't mean to sort of get caught up in his life. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's goes from one of those things where you can't help who you have feelings for. And she knows she's doing something that's crossing a line from her being a shitty person to her being like 
like despicable. Mm -hmm. And she knows that, but she still wants what she wants and goes for it. And you see that tearing her up inside. She wants to be honest with him. She wants to have a relationship with this person uh, in her own very messed up way. Uh, but if he knew everything about her, you know, like it's just, it was an impossibility. Mm-hmm. Um, they're star-crossed. And um, I like that despite that, they still have so much chemistry and, you know, it it was a really interesting dynamic. Um, I, I like that they had this, these secrets and they felt comfortable only kind of being open about all of it with each other. Yeah. Um, they have stuff that drives them away from each other, but then they have so many things that um, bring them back. They're magnets. And sometimes, you know, um, they push each other away. Yeah. Uh, but inevitably, they can't be apart. Like, it's... The the chemistry is just oozing from these two. Um, I thought that they were very well cast in um, this romantic aspect. And like you said, Bobby, like I really appreciated um, how little he actually really is in the show. Mm -hmm. I liked his role in it, but it would have been a disservice to Kristen Ritter's character um, to put him in it too much. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that, I, what I like about the show in general, I want to ask Stephanie. You mentioned before about how the, these themes about the tenant character, right, the the Kilgrave character, and about what scared you about him were these things that happen to women every day. You know that that I think a lot of people don't see. You know, um, how important do you think it is to have stuff like that in in a show like this, and something that's Marvel based that's going to be out there for so many people to watch? I think it's as important as having a comic for kids about anti bullying. Mm-hmm. Um, the more ways you put things out there that are based in a reality, the more, I mean, it doesn't matter that there's superpowers, you know, at the core of this show, it's human Mm -hmm. and the things that they all go through are relatable. And if even one person from that show goes, oh my God, is that like what what I did to this other woman. Like, is this mm-hmm. me being obsessed? Is it like this? Is it, you know, mm-hmm. not healthy? Like, is it, do they not want me like chasing after them? Do Like, it's a mental illness thing. And a lot of the time there's not going to be people responding to it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if someone realizes that stalking somebody you know, and kind of seeing it from a different perspective um, helps in any way. That's like, you know, such a huge feat. Um, I think it's so important to have themes that people can relate to even in the most ridiculous, far out stories. Like 
this is obviously not Marvel, but like Battlestar Galactic. Um, I love that show. I love it. Um, but and people were like, oh, it's a space show. It's sci-fi. It's not really sci-fi. It's a drama set in space. And it deals with themes and um, so many things that are human um, and things that you can relate to. And in a lot of ways, it's more relatable in something like the Big Bang Theory mm-hmm. um, because of all of the really heavy stuff that they just nail. Um, they just get it. And that's what this is like for me, you know, um, get the reality right. And everything that happens that's unbelievable and, you know, just out of this world is so much easier to kind of just believe. Yeah, absolutely. Bob, you want to? Yeah, sure. You've all expressed great satisfaction in the strength of character that Jessica shows within this. Is there ever a moment that in them trying to show the other side, that it, it butts up against sort of victimization, that they go maybe a little too far here and there, or is it pretty even-handed? You, you know, I don't, for me, I don't think so. I mean, I feel like, I mean, she definitely, she definitely was a victim, you know? I mean, she got mind-controlled by mm-hmm. a sociopathic um, you know, homicidal maniac, basically. So th- there's definitely a victimization there, but c- the show is really about Jessica reclaiming okay. who she is. It's not about her, and it's about her, and it's also about her facing down the thing that scares her the most in the in the entire world. That's so important, you know. That's what the show is basically about. Yeah, I no, I I had something to add, but if I don't word it carefully, it might. You want to save it for spoiler stuff I... or? Yeah, I just like you were saying with her her reclaiming herself. Um she never she never like apologizes for what happened to her. She kind of owns it in a way and uses it against Kilgrave. Yeah. In in many okay. fashions. Yeah. It's not exactly where I wanted to go. I need to I need to pick my words. Maybe I'll save it for later. Well, there's several times as well when he tries to tell her that it, she was a complicit in what in what they did, and and that she wanted it, and that you know, and she never, never, never wavers on, on, on that point. Like as a, as a watcher, she I I didn't I never felt like she tried to make me feel bad for what happened. Mm-hmm. That's not what I got. Right now, it was very much a this is a terrible thing that happened to me, and and the person that that caused that that caused me to to become what I am now is back, and you know before the first episode ends. She puts her foot down. She's like, no. I think think that's a lot with how she's introduced, though. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You don't get this sweet, innocent Jessica Jones. You don't get her origin story. You don't get to see how she came to be. Mm -hmm. The first person you meet is present day Jessica Jones. Yes, absolutely. It's and I think that's where that comes into play. I don't think that there's, there's definitely moments when she's a victim and there's definitely moments Mm -hmm. when she's down on herself. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, but I think that that's amazing. I like that because it's real again. Like it just, she has PTSD, Mm -hmm. severe PTSD and not just from what she's gone through um, with Kilgrave. Like, it's a series of things that have just kicked her while she's down. Mm-hmm. 
repeatedly. And, you know, you don't feel sorry for her because she already feels as sorry for herself Yes. As anyone needs to. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. See, yeah. Worded much better. Extreme. And the amount of self-loathing that that exists is is huge with with her character. She's a functional, sort of semi-functional alcoholic. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And you know, like, there's just so many things that are so wrong about her. But and, and she does blame other people. She mm. does like you know point the finger and deservedly at for instance Kilgrave right but other times not in the right place mm-hmm. uh but it's part of her journey exactly and yes her journey is just starting this is the first season mm-hmm. and you know with I, I don't want to touch on any more without like I don't want to spoil anything but right. you know it's all just getting started and It'll be interesting to see what Jessica Jones will get in season two. Absolutely, I think the thing so they, they never fetishize her being a victim. That's yeah, yeah. Okay, that's they, very they, important. they never do that. Um, there's a real consequence, a real cost to her. Oh yeah, there's to huge us as cost. the audience yes. seeing it. Yeah, I think Stephanie put it best. It's very the the way that Jessica is is very real. In the the, the she is sometimes a very good person, and sometimes she's a shitty person. You know, the, the, it's not she's not. She's not Steve Rogers, right? You know, she's not. That's not what she is. Um, she's a much more fully drawn character, uh, and I think that I love, like Stephanie's saying about liking the fact that she was real. I love that she can be horrible and great and and s- depressed and hopeful and all these things all put into one because that's what people are. They're all of those things. And, and she yeah. she doesn't want to be a hero, really. Like no. and. She does. She wants to do the right thing. But the person that really pushes her to be the best person she could be is Patsy, mm-hmm. who is not just her best friend, but her sister. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yes, exactly. And, like, she doesn't want to be a better person for herself. She wants to be a better person for Patsy. Mm-hmm. She's the only person in her life that she loves. Mm-hmm. And... She, you know, can't be around her when she's at her worst, but when she's at her best, she wants to be her best for Patsy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Bob, do you have any questions for us that are kind of the non-spoilery territory? Uh, not really. One just got answers. Wondering about the origin. Yeah, we'll you don't really get it. for yeah. next time around, mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah, yeah second, yeah. second season. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah. Spoiler territory. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody right. else's liver hurt while watching? She drank a lot of liquor. She drank so much booze. <sighs> All the time. Every moment. By the time I got to like in the later episodes and she's taking swigs from the bottles, like, ah, oh, <laughs> But you also have to think, too, and this is like getting super nerdy, <laughs> um, but like in terms of like the flash, yeah. like. She breaks it down. Mm-hmm. You can't, he can't get drunk without like consuming a stupid amount of booze in like a very short amount of time and the same thing goes for her i would imagine because her metabolism would be ridiculous with the strength that she has right absolutely um, this is for cm yeah, just i i thought about that too while i was watching it. <laughs> so i mean she is a functional alcoholic her but yeah. her her boozing realistically probably isn't 
you know, like it's it's bad. I'm not making excuses no. for a fictional character here, but um, it's only half something know. to aspire to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and Stephanie, I know we you, you talk about the character himself, but what do you think of David Tennant as Kilgrave? Um, I saw a lot of people like tweeting about, um, you know, oh my god, my crush on David Tennant can no longer exist. <laughs> um, and and I don't know, I don't really see that. First of all, fictional characters, <laughs> and second of all it's cruel to hope that he's only ever going to be the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to be typecast. No, he does not want that. No. Um, and then, you know, there's this kind of weird, you hate him. Yes. He is despicable. There's very few points in the show where you're like, Oh my God, like he's not so bad. <laughs> you, there's maybe one instance mm -hmm. and yeah. that's snatched away from you almost immediately. Yes. <laughs> um, and, but that being said, what's sort of eerie about him is at times he acts exactly like the doctor. He does. Like, yes. He is this suave, charming, mm -hmm. well-dressed, charismatic, um, monster gentleman like, <laughs> he is yeah absolutely yeah he is good looking he knows what to say to people and not just you know because of his power he genuinely has a way with people mm -hmm. outside of his abilities and that comes from part of him constantly having he he kind of touches on it a little bit in which he says you know like do you have any idea how hard it is to be me in the sense like um to constantly have to watch what you say. Yeah. And he is well-spoken. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's th these times when he's a normal person. Like, he's so completely normal. Like, he's somebody who you could be like, I date him. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, he's a sociopath. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, like, again, part of the creepy factor about him is he's so, you know, just kind of looking um he he's not who if you asked a six-year-old what a bad man looks like right this isn't anything mm -hmm. like the person that a kid would describe right you know um or anybody really like a well-dressed suave man with a great smile isn't typically the person that you're like stranger danger <laughs> <laughs> um and I think he does this fantastic job of being this personable villain mm -hmm. who you love to hate. Yeah. I mean, the way he says Jessica Jones, it's so great. I don't know what it is about it, but just the way the inflection he puts on it and he's able to say it in so many different ways. It's very Jessica! like, um, yeah. <laughs> here's Johnny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's, it's very creepy. Yeah. And, another thing that just is so off-putting about him is at a certain point in the show, you realize that he genuinely thinks he's doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> he genuinely believes he's a good person. Mm -hmm. He genuinely believes that he deserves the things that he has. And he sort of more or less steals and, mm -hmm. and some cases does steal. Yeah. Um, but he, 
genuinely believes he's doing like his version of heroing. Yeah. <laughs> and he just gets creepier. And it's not even something that he's doing. It's just these subtle things that they throw into the show that you're just like getting chills. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, you are not a good person. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> it's that conviction that makes for the best villains mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you have to you have to believe in their belief. Yeah, otherwise and, it's just Doctor Evil. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and great. Who cares? I think we, a lot of us, a lot of you listening, um, and you guys know how I feel about backstories for villains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't. Some people are just evil. Yeah, some people don't need a backstory some people don't need something to justify why they're bad people and i love what they did with this Mm -hmm. i thought it was very clever how they worked that in yeah they played with that idea in a very interesting way yeah which i liked yeah i very much enjoyed how even the backstory for his character um was just as compelling as everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right, do we have any more non-spoilery thoughts? Do you want to pop? One. Yeah. Just a, it, it came up on our forums. I've seen it all over the internet without mm-hmm. trying to be, this is not a spoilery mm-hmm. thing. It seems as if people have to now choose between this and Supergirl. I don't know why. Why? 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 I don't, the, the, it's, it, different the, the things. Only, right, 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 yeah. right, but there the can only be one. Well, that's a stupid female, thing to think. I know, but there could <laughs> yeah. be one female superhero yeah, yeah, show yeah, on the air. Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> no, I saw a couple of those, That too. is the thinkings of people who are unfamiliar with women being humans. Yes. If, if yeah. They don't have a problem with their... Can't they, just they, have one thing. Yeah. Right, yes. Can't just have one hero. We've only had one hero. We've only had Wonder Woman for the last, like... <laughs> 40 years <laughs> we are allowed to have more than one now we'll give you two stephanie we'll give you Thanks. two me and all the men met we talked about it we'll give you two all right. i realized that also came across a bit harsh i don't mean that if you right. think you're just playing with us and say choose one or the other right. I, I, I think there is some playful aspects but you know you go to some not our form but you go mm-hmm. i've gone to some others and it's gotten pretty nasty pretty quickly and it's like where does that come from i mean it's that's like silly. saying that like no one could say like the flash and Daredevil can't exist in the same... Exactly. You know, right. so whatever. Yeah. Um, I will say, dude, this is so the first... So inherently used to male heroes. Yeah. And it's just... It's... Uh, again, I'm going to, you know, uh, quote my new prime minister, who is the bomb. <laughs> um, but, you know, on his, when he was talking about his cabinet, he has a completely, exactly even number of men Mm. and a reporter stood up and said why was it important for you to have that why was it important for you to have equality and he goes because it's 2015 (laughs) (laughs) mic drop (laughs) like the same thing applies to this yeah it's 2015 Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, and something that's saying stuff like Supergirl, and this will just start changing the the landscape at yeah. the point. So there are tons of female heroes on Arrow, like ha- half, if not more, of the heroes on that show are female. Yeah, but I mean, that's but again, but Let's but it's led by a <laughs> it's led by a yes, man though. Yes, it's yes. the show's called Arrow, you know. So no matter how many female characters they put on Arrow, which they have a lot, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. um, or how many female characters they put on the Flash, those are all based on the male version. But they're not all. Like, what are you talking? You know, you're, you're totally wrong. <laughs> I okay. 
I'm, what I'm was she, what? she's awful. saying she's saying awful she was coughing <laughs> the flash no she's talking oh. about the, the arrow awful oh, virus oh. Is awful. but we, we won't go there um but, um, no. but anyway, so that, so yeah, so that's, that's yeah. The more shows we have, the more of the spectrum of characters yeah. leading the shows can be yeah, yeah, damaged and pure and everywhere in between. Yes, exactly. So I mean, I think we're all saying watch Jessica Jones, check it out for yeah. yourself. Um, now's your time. If you don't want to hear any spoilers, to to tune out at this point. Um, but if you don't care about spoilers or you've seen the show, uh, continue to listen. And we'll uh, if you're leaving us, we'll see you next week. <laughs> uh, so so yeah. Um, Jessica Jones. I think one of the biggest things, right, is is the ending, which is I don't. I kind of want to know what we thought of this stuff. Somebody just finished watching it, so this is a good thing to watch. So she kills him at the end. She snaps his neck. She snaps. She supermans him. She, she yeah, yeah, she does. So we'll call it from now on. She supermans him. She picks him up and she snaps his neck. Um, how do you feel about that resolution, Stephanie? I I thought it was just um. She spends a bit of time um, with him saying that it's not his place to choose whether someone lives or dies when she has a brief dalliance with turning him into a superhero. Yeah. Um, Which is one of my favorite scenes in in the entire season, by the yeah, way. Yeah. It's, it's really great. Um, but, you know, she she tries to teach him and she's like, you know, it's not it's not your place to choose. And she very much believes that you know that she believes that mm-hmm. um she has a weird sort of respect for the police force i think and um she's trying to she's trying really hard to do everything legit mm-hmm. she's trying to be a good person she's trying to be a good hero and she just realizes that along the way there's so much collateral damage there's so many people that are hurt because she didn't just kill him mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, heroes, they have these godly powers and they feel like in the comics that it's not their place to play God. But every now and again, villains that have these powers too, you know, they, the people of a normal planet aren't equipped to deal with that sort of threat mm-hmm. and um you know i'm not I, they i don't think that jessica jones um needed more emotional baggage <laughs> um but given everything that kilgrave does in the 13 episodes it's like two weeks of her life yeah i thought it was longer but you know um, Robin, one of the twins, her neighbors, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's really like a month, basically, of Kilgrave. Mm-hmm. And in this time, the damage he causes is just unreal. And I think Jessica would never be able to heal with him alive. Yeah. I think she was on the road to recovery in her own weird, broken way. Um and then he comes back from the dead. Yeah. And she needed it to be done. She needed to not be looking over her shoulder forever. She needed him to be gone for good. And I I thought that it was, you know, she wasn't she isn't Batman who's like, 
I'm never going to kill anyone. <laughs> Guns are stupid. Unless they're for grappling. Like, he, she, she doesn't have that vow. Um, you know, she has her own moral code that she lives by. Um, but a part of her moral code for this was not letting him be on the streets anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think they do a very good job narratively. I mean, A, I think that it's supposed to be something that you feel mixed about, right? I mean, because of, of what she does. It's not a morally black or white choice at that point. But I think they do a good job narratively of taking away any other choice that she basically has the choice of either... I She's the only one who can stop him because she is the only one who can resist his um his mind control i mean and that's the moment episode nine which is like i like threw my pillow up in the air when i was watching it <laughs> when she grabs his arm and he goes jessica let me go and he, and he she doesn't let go yep. i was like what yep <laughs> <laughs> which i absolutely loved so she's the only one who can stop him they've they've tried other recourses they've tried this vaccine to try to to try to stop him from you know trying to find a way to get around his mind control it doesn't work and he's only expanding and growing his powers bigger and longer and having more reach. And he's shown that he's willing to do anything in order to you know, basically take her out or, you know, leave a wake of destruction b- behind as he goes through that she has to deal with. Because she starts blaming herself for almost everything that happens because of uh, because of him. And, um, so, and so I feel like that was a that was the only I got I got to the point where I they did a good job narratively because that was the only way I could see out of the situation was for her to do that and the way that she tricks him into it is is awesome and people are gonna be angry at me again for like bringing up the Man of Steel comparisons but Superman had a choice in that <laughs> it was a really easy fix there <laughs> it was like real easy um, but this wasn't this wasn't an easy choice for her to make but. It was the one that made sense. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Steve. <laughs> Did anybody else like me when that actually happened scream out loud, oh, snap? No. No? no. <laughs> I did. No. There were a couple of times because I watched the first seven episodes with friends mm-hmm. and then I watched the rest of it by myself that I would like exclaim out loud and like look around the room like, eh? <laughs> eh? And there was nobody there. Like, oh. See, this is, you would have appreciated Danny and I. Like, Danny and I sit on the couch and make like the worst puns and jokes like throughout everything. That was awesome. And then we're like, <laughs> we should tweet this. And then we're like, wait, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> like, a little real bad. No, 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 no. I noticed that the, the my best material often happens when I'm alone. <laughs> but um... my best material tends to happen with like, Danny's like my conduit to puns. My punduit. Oh, nope. I have my... You're done. Steve. Uh, what... <laughs> what do you want to know? Back on the Jessica... What do you think of the ending? Uh, I, honestly, I I want to say that I kind of saw it coming as far as how he was going to go. Um, aside from all of the, you know, all the, the, the comments and insight that you and Steph had, had put forward, I love the way that she takes him out in that she lifts him up by kind of sealing his jaw shut mm-hmm. because he can't he can't speak anymore he can't talk to anyone around to influence them to to help him in any way that she you know she fakes it right until he's right up in front of her face and just the moment that he caves and he believes her she just reaches up and seals his mouth shut and lifts him up off the ground and that look in his eyes where he's just like this you've got to be kidding me like I thought that I finally mm-hmm. won. I thought that I had you, and she just yeah. So very poetic, 
Uh, and, in... and it's it's great because he could have walked away, mm-hmm. and he has this grand plan <laughs> for leaving her behind and just being like, "You'll regret this. You'll rue the day that you weren't my lady." <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's like, he is like a child. He wants to just let go, and then. The temptation's there, and he can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He can't just walk away yeah. because at the end of the day, she's the only one that walked away from him, and he's the she's the only thing he now wants. Yeah, yeah. He's consumed by this need to have her. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Does it seem there'll be consequences past the end? Does the episode well, actually end at that moment? Well, she kind there... of address it. Yeah, she's okay. definitely like she's like kind of. This is done. Yeah, like I feel like this is really wrapped up. They yeah. kind of they the the consequences that she winds up starting to having she has to deal with um, is now she is a public superhero. She doesn't have um, a superhero name. She goes by Jessica Jones. Mm-hmm. Now everyone knows who she is. Yeah. Everyone knows she has superpowers. Everyone knows she's a street level superhero. She's not at Avengers Mansion. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows she's a PI and everyone has access to her phone number. Yeah, because okay. it's just out there yeah. publicly. Mm-hmm. And so the immediate consequences after her having to deal with the police because she's committed a crime Yeah, um, is the fallout of being outed yeah yeah and then subsequently patsy um has discovered some stuff and um i believe it's going to be a bit of a uh wolverine yeah it's like it's it's a hook to how she became there was i made yeah and i I look smell it (laughs) i looked up Bef- after I watched the show, like what some of those, cause I looked up that doctor's name, Dr. Kozlov. I looked, you know, cause I, there's all names. I was like, these probably have something oh, to yeah. do with, with something I just don't know about. And like Simpson is a character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Simpson is a character. Um, uh, who he, uh, nuke, I think yeah. it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Can we just like, Patsy, what were you thinking? <laughs> Can we just talk about how terrible no, his character was overall? See, here's the thing. Here's the thing about Simpson that I appreciate. I don't like him as a person in the in the in the in the, in the show, uh-huh. but I like that there are people I don't like. You know, like he he has his moments where he is trying to be good, but he is like the he's like the lesser version of Kilgrave because once once he like falls for Patsy he thinks that he belongs with her and that, you know, no matter what he does, he, he, they'll be together because he has these feelings for her. He was the character that I mentioned. There was a character that I never warmed to. I could not every single time that he walked onto the screen. I just, my eyes were rolling. I'm like, what now? Well, I don't think you're supposed to warm to him though. I know, but he was like the fact that like Patsy didn't really see through his veil of shit and that he like, he was so goofy and, and he's always getting in the way. Like he, he, he wasn't a part of a team that, that like he just shows up and he, and he put the whole thing in jeopardy. Well, yeah, at that point he was insane. I, <laughs> I, I, I did not like him from the get go and I never, <laughs> he never sat well with me as a character. Every time he came around, I just, 
I was exhausted. For me, the character I never warmed to was that upstairs sister person. Oh, you're, you're the, uh, there's oh, another character. You're Robin. Not really I wanted to throw her through a wall. <laughs> yeah, Robin. Robin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She was kind of frightening. I just didn't like what thing, this is one of my criticisms of the this is my, one of the few criticisms I have of the show was involving her in some sort of major plot point near the end. Mm-hmm. I think I that that really that was one of the things that rubbed me the wrong way about the show. One of the only things I was like, come on, they're gonna do this thing where like she's the cause of Kilgrave getting free and all this like all and the way like she found out that the brother was dead, like she's like hiding at the diner at the booth and she's like, What did you say? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Like that, that stuff was a little bit clunky to me. That's Ugh, the only she was so- Oh, awful yeah they're the to be fair the twins were a poor choice in general i didn't really like ruben either i didn't he bothered me a lot less uh, ruben was endearing after a certain point but yeah. like their weird twin relationship yeah. was yeah it was weird yeah it, and it wouldn't have it wouldn't have been a big deal to me if they hadn't have brought it into the sort of main plot thread the, as like a periphery thing as like sort of like color for the people who live in the building I, I was okay with but um I, I as when they brought it into the main stuff I just I didn't want to deal with it let me ask a question uh to both you and Steph how did you feel about the Trish Walker stuff and her barricading herself behind her like security doors in her apartment that she spent very much a lot of time hiding behind that well, I didn't have any problem yeah, with that she's not a super the thing is like and I like that they, they address this, is that Trish has grown up with Jessica protecting her. Mm-hmm. And Trish so badly wants to be able to protect Jessica. And I think- in And some, she does it with her money, and she does yeah. it with her love for her. Like, yeah. And that's the only way she can. But there are times where she tries to do it physically, and she often fails when she tries to do it physically, because she's just not, she's not superpowered. She can't- she can't punch in the same weight class that Jessica can punch. She can't protect herself from Kilgrave. Mm-hmm. And so I think that- um, I think it's smart what she does because she's and, the only one who does anything smart. Like, don't, yeah, and yeah. she knows that she doesn't want to be collateral damage. Yeah, she knows she wants to help, but she also, like, I think a big thing with her throughout the the course of the show is she has she's a really interesting character because she knows that she could be the person that's held hostage that makes Jess do anything that anyone asks. Yeah. She knows she could become that person, but she's still not willing to just let her fight these battles by herself. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. in her backstory, you know, they start out very much not friends, very much like at each other's throat. And Patsy's a very different person. Um, but Jessica has no vested interest in her as a person, but still saves her Mm -hmm. over and over again until, you know, she realizes that she needs to start saving herself in the things that she needs when she can. Yeah. All right. She makes, she makes Trish into, you know, by saving her, like she, she kind of winds up turning Trish into more of a grown-up. Like, Trish is a very public figure. She's the celebrity. Mm. So, and at the same time, the person that is most dangerous to her is her mother. Yeah. Her mother is so despicable, too. Ugh. Yeah, she's disgusting. Yeah. And, um, that scene with her in you the know, bathroom. like, yeah. she's not just keeping out 
stalkers and crazies and her family. Mm -hmm. She's keeping out people that would come after Jess because again, Jessica, you know, now, especially she's out, like mm. people will come after Patsy. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, they'll touch on. And there's talks of there being a Patsy Walker show. Mm. Um, so I well, don't know. Well, I, I thought she was a really interesting character. She wasn't stupid. Um, she took self-defense and you see her trying, but you can't fight superheroes yeah. like she again she's just not at that level but she tries she doesn't want to be a burden yeah mm -hmm. i mean you asked that question Steve. did you have a problem with it with what the stuff you, uh, you talked about with, with trish uh a little bit a little bit in that um it was one of the things that going through the first uh couple of episodes where i was starting to wonder why people were around as much as they were her it honestly her whole thing with simpson really was what took me out of her character all the stuff that you that you guys are saying um that you're both saying i agree with you and i'm i'm there and like listening to you talk about it's kind of reaffirming some of my like back burner thoughts but um his i hate to put so much of the blame on this character but we spend time with the two of them together as a couple at yes, one point. Sort of. Not that we don't spend that much time with them she together. I just I don't I don't for me personally, I don't understand how we get from busting into the apartment with your your hands wrapped around your neck, choking the life out of you, to then sleeping with you a few episodes later. I I just But they don't just go from that. There's a very gradual build to that in which Patsy, Jessica kind of coldly is like, get over it. It wasn't him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's, he's like literally spends days bringing her things and apologizing Creepily. and just sitting outside her door. Creepily. And you just don't like him, no, so you think I it's don't. creepy. I really so don't. So that's why you think it's creepy. He doesn't sit outside her door creepily. <laughs> he sits there because he has guilt over it. He doesn't want to be this person that was a murderer. Yeah, he was. He a, almost killed somebody, and yeah. he knew she was innocent. But he remembers all of that. It's not like Kilgrave, being brainwashed, erased his memories. He was there mm -hmm. while he choked the life out of, like, one of the city's beloved radio talk show hosts. Like, you know, this beautiful woman that he didn't want to be kill killing. He was killing, mm -hmm. and. He's torn up about this. And Simpson turns into a not great character. Yeah. But that's also like, a, that's part of him trying to protect her mm -hmm. because he has this attachment to her. And I don't think he's trying to um, form a relationship past you know, her forgiveness and it just comes because they realize that they have things in common and, right. you know, she realizes she can't hold this grudge against somebody who wasn't there, yeah. who wasn't accountable for the actions, you know, like the show for every bit that like, it's such a good show because the motivations of all of these characters are really smart. Like 
some of them act dumb. Some of them do things that are just just ridiculous. But there's motivation behind it. And there's like a reason. And it's a really well thought out show in the sense of things happen with people that you least expect it. Mm. Like to say that something like that wouldn't happen isn't true at all. You wind up becoming closest with the people that you share traumas with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that drives you apart and sometimes that brings you closer together. And in this case with Trish, she's lonely. You don't see her. She literally has no friends except for Jess. Yeah. And she's as isolated as Jessica is. She chooses instead of, you know, they touch on the fact that she um, had a problem with drugs Mm -hmm. very briefly. But Jessica chooses alcohol and Patsy chooses iron doors and self-defense classes Mm -hmm. to cope. Right. And both of them have a very equal amount of pain in their lives. You know, Jessica loses her parents and Patsy never had parents to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, like they, they have, they're the same amount of damage, but Patsy chooses to be a bright and cheery person on the outside. But at the same time, she still has no friends. Yeah. She's still as alone as Jess. Yeah. Um, and I love that line too, after they sleep together and, and they're all sitting in the kitchen together and he starts talking and she's like, just cause what happened last night doesn't mean you get an opinion. And I, I really, I liked that line a lot. <laughs> she said to him. And there's never a point where, you know, they have a relationship. It is what it is. They're connecting. Mm-hmm. Because that's what people do. They need a connection and they never really define it. They're like sort of dating, but Patsy like is take it or leave it. Like she cares because that's just in her human nature. Um, but, you know, like it, it's not um, that be all and end all. She's not Gaga over this person that tried to kill her. She slept with him. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I admire a show that just leaves it at that and doesn't make her into this wallowing, you know, like, cliche. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And you had another question, Steve. You said something else. The moment, um, this is going into specifics, but the moment where they introduce kind of the, like, the MGH-like drug Mm-hmm. Um, like they bite into the capsules and yeah. they become, you yeah. know, nucified or whatever. Did it not bother anybody that they had a scene where they took the time to have Simpson explain how all of that stuff works in terms of the pills themselves to then him throwing the pills that like reset or calm down everything mm-hmm. out the window that in those moments where Patsy's kind of having her episode, no one thought to go and get those things. Well, I mean, they were just outside the building on the ground. So we don't. Yeah. But I mean, she's dying at that moment. You can't you can't go looking for pills out somewhere on the street while your friend is dying in the in the room. I suppose it's just Jessica. Like she can't run. She's not going to leave Patsy. I didn't say. Well, she would have to leave her. She's definitely not going to leave Patsy with this crazy person. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I I was expecting her to like get up and super run downstairs. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's always what happens with stupid people in shows. And then all of a sudden they come back upstairs and Simpson's like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> like you thought I was, yeah. I was like, passed yeah. out. <laughs> and I admire again, 
that the show avoids cliches without becoming a cliche. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of movies and other forms of entertainment that try and avoid those cliches. And because they actively spend so much time trying to be like, we're not this, they turn into another kind of cliche. Mm-hmm. And the show doesn't actively pursue any of that. It's just good writing. Yeah, It's choosing to treat all of your characters, all of the people in the show, whether they're male or female, as humans mm-hmm. and writing what humans would do. Right, yeah. You know, if your best friend was like seizing up and can't breathe, what would you do? It doesn't matter if you have superpowers. Like, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And the core of the show, you know, like one of the episodes is like, what would Jessica do? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, again, like it's just so human. Right, yeah. It's these things where you can yell at the TV, but you would never leave a friend like that. You would never leave your friend's side. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just, you know, like there's things we want to happen, but you put yourself in those shoes. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that those are some of the, we talked about a lot of the biggest points, really. I mean, the moment where Simpson shoots the, ch- the cop in the head. I was another like what <laughs> moment uh, who looked like the cop from uh, the Rucka Punisher run. That's who he reminded oh me of. Oh my God. Looked just like him. Yeah. Um, so uh, Bob, I want to talk to you real quick about Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. So his origin in this. Um, so uh, the whole thing we're talking about, the thing that happens about her, is that Jessica kills Cage's wife when she's controlled by Kilgrave. Um, which yeah. I know is not the origin. It's uh, I know his, his wife dies. Well, yeah. Yeah bad gangland yeah luke gets framed for it ends up in prison yeah well luke is definitely on the run from something he because he won't go to the cops he won't the, won't the cops see him um he got his he's got his uh skin from an experiment that you know that he he signed up for some experiment or something like that and it, and it, and it ended up not being what it was supposed to be. and that's how he gets his well, that happens in prison yeah in prison he, yeah he again he is not a model prisoner because he doesn't think he should be there yeah so there's a, a very bad prison guard named Rackham. <laughs> and there's moments where he beats the snot out of Luke and it, mm. all all the guys take their take their turns. And he signs up with an experiment with a, a doctor named Noah Bernstein, mm. who's trying to recreate basically the Captain America experiment. Right. And he leaves the room and the prison guard shows up and sees the guy he hates in the in the tank of stuff mm-hmm. and turns the dials to eleven. Mm-hmm. And he's dying. Luke is dying inside the thing and punches his way out of the experiment smacks the prison guard. It looks like he's dead. Mm-hmm. The doctor comes back. What did you do? You, you'll spend all your life in prison or they'll give you the chair. And in frustration, he punches the wall and discovers he can punch his way out of prison and works his way back to New York mm-hmm. after months. Yeah. This is what you, th- 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 that's what I th- assume happened here. Cause he won't, he talks about the, they don't really go into depth with any of his stuff, but that seems to be what they're, what they're doing. Now they do have the night nurse by a different name here. Claire Temple. That, yeah. Rosario Dawson just show up back in the, well, I was right. so happy when she showed so back up. Good. Yeah. She's amazing. Claire Temple is Luke's girlfriend. Yeah. In, she's in she, the old books. She's going to be in Luke Cage. Cause they already, they cast somebody to play her mother in Luke Cage. Just oh. like today. I think it yeah. was. So, and the lawyer character you're talking about is a man in the old books. It's Danny Rand's lawyer who ends up being the lawyer for Heroes for Hire. Oh, so Jaron that, that, Hogarth. That will probably happen. Yeah, <laughs> in this, I think that's probably what they're setting up. Nice. Um, yeah, Rosario Dawson is the one sort of link to Daredevil. She talks about him a little bit when, uh, when she suggests like only. A, 
like yeah. really yeah really they don't even yeah. mention it at all no they don't uh and um their scenes together are really good it's really it's it's great to have her just show up and be in there she has such a great presence for that episode um one there's just these couple months and Stephen, you mentioned tenant being sometimes he's just like he is in doctor who you know that kind of thing there's a couple moments some of the faces he makes sometimes like he's in that when when she is living with him when he after he buys her childhood home and all that kind of stuff and she's on the phone with trish and trish is like asking her what's going on and she goes like you know like we can't find simpson he's gone and she goes like simpson's gone and she says it out loud so that kilgrave will hear it because she's trying to ask him like did you kill simpson and he makes like this like I don't know face yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm like that's such like a normal person like yeah, something that yeah. like the doctor would do and he didn't know what was going on it's just a weird weird thing you know and I, even, the way they play the character is so great because even in that first moment when she first sees him you see his face for the first time when it's with the Simpson thing where he's like going yeah. to tell him that he killed Trish and um, she's like outside in the window and he like he just like looks up and he sees her and you expect from everything you've seen go up to that point you've seen the back of his head you see him ordering people to do horrible atrocious things you expect him to be like villainy, you know? Yeah. Like look angry or look twisting a mustache. Yeah, twisting a mustache. <laughs> but he has this look like, oh shit, Jessica's outside. Like that's the look the guy has on his face. Yeah. And then he just does that thing where he just like moves his eyes over because he told Simpson to jump off the balcony. Yeah. Or whatever. Like you might want to take uh, care of that. Yeah. Sorry to ruin the moment. <laughs> yeah. And that moment where he escapes out of the cell. Yeah. And he's like, put a bullet in your brain, Patsy. Or whatever. That whole thing yeah. with her <laughs> well, trying to to, to yeah. push the bullet into her head. Yeah. It, his effect for most for the most part lasts about 12 hours mm-hmm. so if he tells someone to do something they're like transfixed on doing that thing yeah. that's all they can do mm-hmm. and um she's trying to like push one of the the bullets that had already been fired one of like the husks or whatever mm-hmm. the shells and she's trying to push it into her head because she couldn't load it back into the gun mm-hmm. and um the way that they they solve it i also thought yeah. was, was pretty cool yeah but there's this moment where um he's standing outside of like a like a rock club and he gets annoyed by one of the kids that comes up to him. He's like, go over there and stare at that wall forever. And there's another character that's with him. He's like, you can't just tell him to do that. And he's like, you know the way my influence works. He'll be fine in 12 hours. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like little times where he makes you laugh. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, yeah, you know what? He's right. He'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. So, there's a moment with Luke, too, and he like runs up to him. And he's yeah. like, who are you? You're like, I'm Luke Cage. What do you want? I want to kill you. Take a number. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really quick, uh, just before we we end up wrapping mm-hmm. it up, what did we think about like the fight choreography? Um, there wasn't much. No, there wasn't much. But what was there? What did you think? Um, I honestly thought that some of the fights were a bit uh, the weaker parts of the show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that being said, in the larger picture, I forgive it that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the bar fight was a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and then the kind of the the rock venue fight, um, the big fight at towards the end, I thought was really solid. But all the the rest of the scuffles were kind of like, eh. it's it's not it's not the focus like it was in Daredevil, right? Because right. Daredevil is all about those hand to hand brutal fights. Yeah, and with her, it's very much about like throw somebody here, do something like that. It definitely was not as emphasized, yeah. I think, here as it was in those. Um, and she's not, you know, she didn't train. Yeah, you know? exactly. She's, She's just, she's a PI. Yeah. She's like. The fighting's more in the way. She's like Nathan Drake. She's like a street scrapper. Yeah. Like she knows how to handle herself, but like her main goal isn't to punch things. Her main goal is to 
find people usually. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's exactly seven. She's not trained. It's not her focus. Um, and she doesn't really need to fight that much to win. Usually, <laughs> usually yeah. it's like a, a punch and then it's done. And I, <laughs> she breaks a lot of doors. Yeah. New York City has a lot of broken doors. Padlocks. <laughs> yeah, a lot yeah, of broken padlocks. padlocks a lot of her r- and windows. And windows. Just like breaking door handles all over the place. I would have I would have hated to have been like the padlock company that sponsored part of the show. Yeah. Like, we want to feature your padlocks in our <laughs> Jessica Jones Marvel show. Isn't that exciting? Like, yeah, sign us up. And then it's like, you know, never break. And it's just a series of her just like ripping them right off. And like, <laughs> oh man, we really probably should have talked to somebody before we sign this contract. <laughs> Shit. Um but yeah, that, yeah, the fight scenes were definitely the uh, I think the least of it. Um, but there weren't as many either. No, there were really like, like three or four. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think overall, like I think that uh, Jessica Jones has a has a good style to it, um, and I like the noir stuff. I feel like sometimes they leave that behind. Like it seems like they would focus on it sometimes and sort of leave it behind at other times. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt overall just like a, a, in, in visual style, it wasn't as strong as Daredevil. It didn't have that same like unified style to me. Um, but I mean, that's again, it's, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of the show at all. It's just something I noticed as far as like, if we're going to compare those two shows. One director all the way through? No, no one. Okay. There wasn't one director for Daredevil oh, either, okay. but uh, I was curious different. as to whether or not they were going to keep the whole like, purple lighting thing mm-hmm. every time that he came around like yeah. i thought that was a real interesting hook to start mm-hmm. and then that kind of fell away and he just becomes just a person yeah it like was, was more her ptsd stuff yeah yeah that, like that he was kind of like a, like a specter yeah uh, well those mind. are all flashbacks yeah, right? yeah yeah they are and they're all her kind of like having her ptsd moments so i like that they, they bring it in that way it's cool though that like there were even scenes towards the end where she's kind of looking for him and just the lighting and where they happen to mm-hmm. be it's it's purple yeah you know or she's walking through like a basement area where like ca- blue caution firelights have gone off yeah and it's mixing with like the red down the hall yeah and it's creating this purple hue and like you know that like a significant scene with him is coming up and uh, i thought that was very clever mm-hmm. yeah um Perfect. i also think it's um something notable to mention um that the person who did the music did a really solid job with oh, it. Oh, I love the music. Yeah, absolutely. And the music, I didn't I, I didn't really like the theme song, but that being said, um, for the rest of the show, it does a consistently great job of being mm-hmm. very noiry and setting the tone. Did mm-hmm. you freak out when Sleigh Bells came on? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's the scene where uh, they're walking into like the bank or or the the museum like mm-hmm. the the fight the fight scene yeah and she's got the hood over her head mm-hmm. with the, the oh yeah, yeah, yeah. the band playing in, oh, in her okay. head is a band called sleigh bells oh gotcha and um just if you heard like that full song it's totally a fight song and it's mm-hmm. completely they could not have chosen a better like more popular track to just throw on mm-hmm. for something like that mm-hmm. Um, lyrically and musically, it just it gets you really pumped. It's, it was perfect. Uh, Sean Callery is the composer for Jessica Jones. He did a good job. There was mm-hmm. a lot of good uh, good stuff in there. Um, yeah, I mean overall, I think it was great. Uh, Bob, do you have anything that you wanted to nope. ask or anything? All right. Do we know? Do these like Netflix shows ever wind up uh, happening on Blu-ray or is it just? They on should. The I don't know. It's weird to me they aren't out yet. The Daredevil is. Yeah, out they yet. do. I mean, Daredevil is. They just out take yet. a while. Yeah. Like House yeah. of Cards and all that. Like made it to and Orange is the New yeah. Black and. Yeah, they did. That's true. Actually, I didn't yeah. even think of that. The yeah. Orange is the New Black that showed up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they all put on Blu-ray. I just, I, 
it's weird to me that Daredevil isn't out yet because it has been a lot of months. Well, I guess because it's an exclusive, they've yeah. got to get like their time with it before mm-hmm. they can release it to everyone. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, and then just, everyone watched 13 episodes in a weekend. Yeah. yeah. No, just, they spread I mean, it out for the next three months yeah. or four months. Yeah. I mean, I understand, like, you know, keeping it under your umbrella and stuff like that, but it seems like if you did not have some kind of a wide release at some point, you'd just be leaving so much money on the table. I'm sure. I'm yeah. sure there's a window. I'm sure there's yeah, a like, window of time. Like, I've seen it, and I have Netflix. I can watch it whenever I want. I would totally buy the Daredevil oh, yeah. and Jessica Jones Blu-ray. Me fans. too. Absolutely. Um, and we have a... Uh, I'm going to guess probably February-ish or April, February or March for Luke Cage. That, that would be my guess. That's the next one? Yeah. And then I think so. And then and Daredevil then season two. Oh, wow. What about Iron Fist? Oh, they haven't announced Iron Fist stuff yet. Okay. They said it's coming. And there's a Punisher coming. That's right. Not, yeah, but not necessarily. They haven't announced that he's having a series. That was a rumor that it was going to replace the Iron Fist mm-hmm. thing, but they've said now that's not going to happen. Oh, okay. Iron Fist is coming. And it's going to be a series just like the, the rest of them. Um all right, so that's it for our Jessica Jones review. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in and listening to that. Um, if you got, want to get in touch with us uh, personally, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve? I am dead. Uh, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> My phone went off. At dead underscore anchorus. Stephanie? I am at hello cookie. Bob. Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And make sure you go to talkingcomicbooks.com for all of the reviews, columns, and bevy of podcasts. Yeah. The Misfits, Talking Movies, Talking Games, Talking Shoujo, Talking Valiant. Whereas one of those things is not like the other. <laughs> um, tune into all all of those podcasts, of course. Yes. Make a small announcement. Sure. Um, there will be, excuse me, no official Talking Games podcast for this week due to Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. However, uh, this evening, this might not do any good now, but we'll, we'll try to save it. Uh, Jackie and Justin will be streaming some Battlefront. Cool. And I'm going to do something uh, throughout the week to kind of make up for oh, the cool. the lost time but between everybody cooking and mm-hmm. traveling and stuff like that it's just a little too hectic yeah this week. absolutely um yeah so make sure you go check that's about and uh check out the uh i'm sure you on your twitter you'll be able to see where the streams are going on yeah, yeah yeah we're gonna um i'm sure i don't even know they might even be going on right now mm. but um if we archive it we'll uh yeah, we'll definitely it or we'll make a post or something cool. like that awesome awesome um and happy thanksgiving to everybody yes absolutely we're celebrating real thanksgiving this week <gasps> <laughs> wow. Stephanie, you just have a fun Thursday. for real thanksgiving we're going to be doing bitch planet book club okay. for misfits and yeah. valentine delandro is going to be joining us nice. so lovely, lovely we're going to be celebrating canadian awesome sunday <laughs> thanksgiving's on thursday stephanie whatever that's not <laughs> Thanksgiving. Yes, Thanksgiving's on the weekend yeah. when you can spend it with your family. Yeah, that's we, everyone has off. It's oh. even better. Everyone, days. everyone has we have four days off for our Thanksgiving. So do we. We have like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, but you still celebrate it on Sunday because Sunday is the family day. <laughs> that's just nonsense. You guys are full of ridiculous holidays. Like no. just why don't even Arbor Day? What's that? No one celebrates <laughs> Arbor Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but why we even you, except why? my except my like summer camp when I was yeah. seven and we planted a tree. Planted a tree, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Nonsense. No one observes. I don't, I don't observe Arbor Day, and Arbor Day is for saving the environment. Stephanie, you, that's come on. Yeah, well, in Canada, we just love the environment. Yeah. One day we're going to take all your water, so just watch out <laughs> yeah. right. with giant robots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's going to do it for the Talking Comics podcast for this week. For Steve. Sweet Christmas. Bob. Happy Thanksgiving. And Stephanie. Bye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. Continued.